I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. You're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Repetoculture Network. Standing, cooperating. Hello. Here we are. Yes. We're here. We like had to move my desk and stuff to get Christmas decor out of the attic, and so now I feel like all my stuff's like really in very specific spots. Like when you you have your car seat adjusted properly and like exactly where you want it, and then someone else drives your car and changes it, and you can never get it exactly right. To where it was yeah. before. Yep. Yeah, they moved your they moved your mirror Randy. two millimeters to the left. But that oh. two millimeters took forever to get yeah. dialed in exactly where you want it. Yeah, twelve years, <clears throat> just like that. Yeah, gone in, <laughs> gone in the blink of an eye. The blink of an eye. Oh man, can you believe it's December? Dude, it's crazy, man. It's like November went by really fast. I don't know if it's just because, you know, everything sort of gets a little more chaotic these it's last last two months of the year. But, yeah, it's because it's uh, we're adults, bro. That might be it, too. We're grownups. It's freaking weird. Uh, I went to uh, one of my one of my best friends from high school. I still keep in touch with him. Yeah, He's one of the only guys I still talk to from high school. And uh, he lives about 40 minutes north of me. And his oldest daughter had her sweet 16 on Saturday. So Anna Marie and I went to that and uh, it was, it it was at his house and he has a really, really nice patio backyard. So like they basically, the parents kind of sat parents crazy were grownups. The parents sat over like on the side of the house with that little fire pit going on. And then all the, all the kids were like huddled around a makeshift dance floor and like they had like makeshift club lights, you know, very homey. And it was such a high school dance in there. Like it was hilarious. Like everyone was around the perimeter of the dance floor. Lady like, two, two kids dancing. They remember, they only know the chorus to the songs. They have no idea who sung them. Like it's, it's adorable. It's hilarious, but it was really like, it was a, it was a wake up call, man. Like, I'm much farther away from high school than I thought I was, <laughs> you know? So, yep. Yep. It's, uh, but it's good, man. I mean, it's, it's wild too. Cause if, when, you know, when you have a kid and they go into school and you have like the, the parent teacher conferences and the open house nights and stuff, it's like, I feel like it wasn't that long ago that I was in the same position. She was, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, like, it's crazy now. Like I see, Everything my parents saw, and now it all makes so much more sense. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? The homework and not telling us about it, and then it's like 8 o'clock on a Sunday, and she's like, yeah, I have to do this, and this, and this, and this, and it's like, what? What? Nice, nice. So. Oh, geez. One foot in the grave, buddy. I know, right? The other on the banana peel. Well, <laughs> I have... A surprise for everyone who's watching. Oh. I received a special gift in the mail. And it brings me so much freaking joy. Keller, you I... didn't graduate. We ain't fooling anybody. 
I, it brings me so much freaking joy that I had to wear it on tonight's show because I just got it. And now for everyone to see, just in case there was any confusion, here it is. Oh. A hoodie with Team Hood. My very own genuine Team Hood t-shirt. Complete with Black and Python patterning to it. No comment. Love it. Jason Hood's the man. Hmm. So, how you been? Good. Good. Busy. Work. Same old? Yep. Aki's good? Yep. Excellent. Yeah, you and I spoke a little bit before this, and you were playing with Aki's. And I, I made the comment, you know, hey, do you want to call me back when you're not like, yeah, I know if you were like target training or feeding or cleaning or whatever. You're giving me entirely too much credit there, buddy. Well, and that's what I was going to say is that you really, <laughs> no, you, you really are working with them a lot. And I mean, I I'm seeing the progress lately. I've been pretty, I've been pretty lacking, um, you know, just with all the sort of the medical stuff and whatnot the last week or two, it's been much more, my attention's been, been diverted a little bit um but yeah i was just like i had time to kill after dinner and you were gonna call and so i was like let me at least pull one of them or both of them out and i at some point pulled both of them out so yeah but i'm watching your little your your not little but your instagram reels and dude you can watch the progress man there yeah them. after especially sort of after they've had kind of a break you know that initial like grabbing them they're they're definitely not feeling it but after a few minutes, they definitely mellow out some. I'm sure they're probably a little winded, and uh, that plays a big factor in it. But yeah, did uh, you still trying to? Are you still chasing them around, or are you still coaxing them out with a prey item? Um, so most mornings, at least lately, I haven't had time to really do the the tong feeding. Um, it's still pretty much when they're under a rock chilling, you know, yeah. going in there and grabbing them and. Catch them off guard. Then they kind of get their bearings, and then, like I said, they're fine. But it's that first minute or two that they're just like, eh. yeah, yeah. So that's cool. And uh, everything's chilling appropriately. Uh, I still have to move stuff into the garage. The temperatures have been really squirrely here. Once again, we had some consistent temperatures, and I was like, <clears throat> perfect. Uh, and then it was like, oh, wait, let's go back to like 70. Let's go back to 75. Then let's go back to 56. And just the, the ping-ponging. So um, maybe this weekend. I don't know. I got to look at the weather and see what's going on. But um, this is episode 145 of Snakes and Stogies. Yes. Which is brought to you by Puget Sound Pythons. Check them out, Facebook and Instagram, and blackboxcages.com. I know we talk about them a lot. There's a reason for that, because they make some awesome, awesome stuff. Yep. Aki's I, got a black box. They love it. Ganyasoma got a black box, and they love it. Sudasarasti's right. got a black box that they're living in. It's not complete yet, but they're there. Ryan Kofis, not Ganyasoma. Uh-huh. are in a black box and they like it so well jen texted me today and uh my two foots are, are ready nice. and uh just putting the finishing touches on them so we're gonna do uh stackable 
no heat panel, which I, I got to figure out how I want to do that. But she's just going to put in the LED lighting and my fancy smancy locks that I love so much. So uh, we'll have more desert creatures in no time. Very exciting stuff. Blackboxcages.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited about those. They're like the perfect size two foots. You know, if you're keeping smaller vipers or you're keeping a smaller colubrid or something that you want a little bit of height for some climbing, but it's not really arboreal, that's the way to do it. And what are you smoking tonight, sir? Uh, so there was a Liga Anniversario. Nice. On the shelf that someone had picked up and cracked. Not really? me, but someone else. So Roger's like, if you want to also do a half price. So good. Got me a, a $25 Liga for like 12 bucks and change. So hell yeah. That's the way to do it. And it's not like if it were like a really bad crack where like the wrapper was completely obliterated, I'd probably would have just been like, yeah, no thanks. Uh, but it's not that bad. It's, it's, it's workable. It'll get a little rough as I get closer to that little spot. But yeah. Stop going to cigar shop. Don't touch the cigars in the humidor. You don't have to. Yeah. It's one of the most rudimentary things we're taught as children. Look, don't touch. Yes. yes. Still applies as an adult. And if you have to touch, if you have to pick it up, don't squeeze it. Don't squeeze it. Roll it or hold it up to your ear like you're at the beach listening for the ocean and the shell. Yeah, it's not a conquer. Like, it's not whispering to you. It's not going to tell you anything about the flavor. Um, and we've talked about it before. Just because it feels hard or it feels soft doesn't really have much to do with the actual humidity of the humidor. Correct. Some companies like this is this is pretty hard. Like there's not a lot of give to it. That's just the way they're rolled. Yeah. Some some companies roll their stuff with a lot of filler and stuff in it. Some companies roll it with a little less. Depends on if it's box pressed. If it's box pressed, there's not going to be as much filler in it, so it is going to be spongier. You can't just judge it by the feel. It's uh, it's a bad bad uh, indicator. It's a bad yeah. bad bad, it, bad habit. Yeah. So. Yep. And that being said, too, is if you pick up a cigar normal and it gets you immediately feel sponginess to it. That means it's heavily overhydrated and probably not good. Probably or it's just a, a, a not great cigar that with a company yeah. that is like that's like their maybe their budget line or something where they have their their lower grade rollers making it. But like the brick house, like brick house are, are fairly spongy. They have a lot of soft spots in them usually, but it's a pretty damn good cigar. That that Connecticut. I mean, they're all good, but well, speaking of Connecticut's. I wanted something light and I pulled out, uh, I forgot I had this, a 21 year old, age 21 years, whatever you want to call it, Gurkha Cellar Reserve. So that's that line that has that black label that I love so much. Yeah. But I will say this though either I need to change the Boda pack that's in that <clears throat> one box or this was just made shitty. Um, it had a pigtail. And like a moron, I use a V cutter, and I guess the the stem of the pigtail was tucked underneath the cap, so like it totally ripped the top out. Yeah, it happens. So, eh, life goes on. 
but Brad's here. I feel like we haven't seen Brad in a minute. We haven't. Yeah. What's up, buddy? He la hot. Jenkins is here. JT is here. Nate's here. Yeah. Eric Westmoreland. Joe. Trippy and Keller. All the, the, the usual sus usual suspects. Yes. Yes. So was was Paint Shep supposed to join us tonight? What was the I thought he was. Did we send him the link? I forgot. I don't know. I'll send him the link right now. I, totally I don't forgot. know if he's even free. Well, we'll send it anyway. I don't know. We kind of suck at this. Um, you thought we would have had it together by now. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the last Snakes and Stogies of the year. Yes, it is. Our last show of the year is the 12th. We're going to, me and Jake are going to fit in a like one on one year in review on Thursday. And then Monday. So this time next week, we'll be doing our sort of final show of 2022, naming our people of the year, all that good stuff. So what's happening, Jeff? <clears throat> That'll be good. I'm pretty excited about the people we've got, got picked. I need to talk to Bill still and get some other stuff sort of finalized and figured out. And uh, I'm happy with all the all the picks we got. Oh, yeah. Great picks. You know, I feel like we could add, you know, we could easily pick like four or five people per show. Like one is, it's hard to just narrow down one, but you struggling? Yeah, I didn't fill it up before we started the show. Oh. Yep, yep, yep. Enough. I know a lot of people are seem to be gravitating more towards like the soft flame, like Bic lighters. So like I got this um, in a My Father sampler I I bought like last weekend. It's got a came with a soft flame lighter. So nice. It's nice. It burns a little cooler than well, a lot cooler than torches do. So you don't you know burn your tobacco. Yeah. Uh, get a little more flavor out of it. It's just not as harsh on the on the wrapper and stuff, and you're not sort of charring it. Uh, but my father makes good stuff. I have a Le Bijou sort of lined up as my my secondary. Excellent. So haven't had one of those in a while. That's one that I kind of on the fence about. Like I've had some that were really really good, and then I've had a couple that were really not, and they seem pretty hit or miss. It seems like that's kind of the case with a lot of my father's stuff, especially like the Jaime Garcia's, which I love. Like a really good box of Jaime Garcia's, like those things are really, really, really good. But a really bad batch of Jaime Garcia's, they are rough. Like they are just taste off. So, oh, there's Bert. Hey, there he is, Pod the Podfather. The Podfather. Well. Uh, I actually, uh, up, Christian? I, I gave my Fuscus the last meal before I cool him. I'm just waiting for them to drop that turd. And I got so excited, man. Cause I saw my girl, her back end was so huge. And I was like, yes, this is going to be the turd that I get to turn everything off and start the chilling process. And I realized that it wasn't is that she was doubled up over herself. 
and that's just how fat she is. And I was like, oh my God, this is glorious. So I'm hoping that they expend their waste in the next couple of days so I can get them going and, uh, and then start chilling geckos. So, yeah, I was waiting on uh, the female subock to shed, and she did, and I just haven't gotten around actually putting her in the closet with everything else for that prelim cooling, um, which has pretty much dropped them down into like the mid to upper 60s, maybe a little cooler in the coolest nights we have right now. Yeah. But I feel like it's a nice kind of drop from what they're usually at, and then get them into like cooling, cooling um, as soon as that weather decides to show up and stick around. So, yeah, man. I gotta, I gotta box her up and move her. But yeah, it got like seventy one last night, and I was like, "Oh, it's starting, it's starting." And I was like, "No, it was like eighty eight today." I'm like, "Ugh." It was like high sixty five here. It's been like it's been cooling off pretty good, but it's just we have like a nice four day streak of like legit colder weather, and we have one day of like sixty nine. You know, we're seventy, and then we'll have another day that's cold, and then it kind of jumps back up. It's just been super inconsistent. Yeah. And, course jake's bragging of you know well that's why i'm waiting until january put mine down blah 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 blah. i'm like okay yeah put his down that's another good one see so that's that's i mean that's the perfect segue tonight uh we're gonna kind of talk about some some slang let me write it down yep well we also have our our games of chance we do. We want to go ahead and get that knocked out? Yeah, let's let's do that, man. Okay, so forewarning, Phil picked out this week's quizzes, and I apologize in advance because I don't look, know what the hell these are. I, look, man, I wanted to make it challenging, but not – I, I didn't go crazy. Species people actually kind of know. I know, but the problem is, is if I pick <laughs> things too easy, then you know Keller's just going to get every single one. Well, Keller can be barred. <laughs> or he can, we can bar Keller to only win once a month. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe we'll do that. Oh, there we go. Jeff said he wants to know what perps. Oh, yes. Boy. That's Jeff good. Wants to know what perps are. Yep. Oh, perps. Yeah, the perps. It's a good one. You See, there's a, ton, there's a ton. There's the yeah, but I mean, there's a ton there as well. Uh, you know, just in like the species that have the sort of the short, short firm, short form names. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not participating so other people can get a chance to win. What a guy. <laughs> Keller, you just text me your answers and uh, I'll tell you if you were right or not. <laughs> well, we got some people getting in. It is not a shovel nose snake or long nose snake. Good guesses, boys. They're on the wrong continent. Let's start there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And no one's is, gonna, no one's gonna get this. You'd be surprised, man. It's not no a banded crate. When I saw it, I was like, "What the hell? What?" You would pick something like this. I know. I I, when I, I saw it, I was like, "This, this is something Phil well, would pick." So there's actually another one that uh, there was a. It's a species of snake that I think is from the United States, um, but. It was on Flickr, and the person that took the picture called it a Tetris snake. And I tried Googling Tetris snake, and all I get is like Tetra or Tetris. I think Tetris, like the game. Oh. And then when I when I Googled Tetris snake, all I got was new console game Tetris and snake combined. You know, and it's like that that's sounds not, horrible. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so 
Tetris just gives me anxiety. It is not a flat-nosed snake. It is not a coral snake, nor a spitter, Lisa. At least give them a continent. It is on the African continent. It's not and, a bush viper. I can tell you that. Yeah. And to be honest, if um, <clears throat> if somebody uh, gets the genus, we'll, t- we'll take the genus. Because uh, this particular species actually has five subspecies, which I didn't know until I started Googling. Um, and I, I don't even know which subspecies this one is. I'm only good at guessing random numbers. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do have a talent for that. Yes, yes, he does. Yeah. See, I told you, man. <clears throat> I think I've heard of these maybe once, and I think it was because you mentioned them. Other than that, it's one of those species that you're you're likely to never know exists. Well, I was going to say is the only other person I know who has an affinity for them besides me is Matt Most, and Matt Most actually used to keep them. I've never kept them. And uh, no, no, not Telescopus. Good try, boys. Um, I mean, what do you want to do? Do you want to? Do you want to just let's let's move on? All right, we'll move on. We'll move on. Okay, number two. I thought this was a really good one. I thought the fox snake one was a really good one too, and that turned out to be a be a dud. <laughs> what is it? What could it be? And see, I like this photo too because it's on sand, and you wouldn't expect it necessarily to be on sand. Yep, and there it is. Yep. Yep. Joe got it. The Eastern Hognose. Told you. I thought it was a good I thought it was a good one, man. And this is another one I'm only familiar with by by genus because you trash talk another genre mm-hmm. in lieu of this, so I thought this I thought one will be tough. Change it up. This one is going to be a zig when you should have zag kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for all the. I know where people are going to go with this, and I'm I'm waiting for it because I'm not going to say it. But yeah, I think you did that on purpose too. Yeah, yeah. And and the other thing too is it, it's a variable species, but it's not that variable. You know what I mean? So if someone is into this type of critter, then they should be able to get it pretty easily. Again, as every every episode that we're doing this, if you're listening to this, we apologize. <laughs> yes. I'll yes, paint you do. a picture to the best of my abilities. It's a legged creature with studded sort of skin and maybe some slight banding and uh, it has an armpit looks a little dry like maybe it needs some some sort of lotion or deodorant or something an intricate Uh, array of beaded rosettes there we go Okay, way to church it up there wolf complemented with granite bands 
of ochre. What? Granite bands of ochre. It is not pachydactylus. It is not coleonics. It is not a euphlerid. Yeah, not that. I was going to do like it on Kasiki. I was going to. And I was like, eh, eh. <sighs> this too is also African, if that helps. This too is also really hard. I mean, people just got to diversify what they're looking at on the internet, on the interwebs. Yeah, you know, just Google obscure species that are only known to science by like one hollow type. And no, I no, I hey, we're good to go. No, I did not do that. I literally, <laughs> I, I literally did not do that. I just typed in gecko, and this came up, and I was like, "Ooh, I love those. Let's do that." Chris is he's throwing them out there, man. He is. He's 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 pitching hard. It's not Neferus, which is where I thought everyone would go first because it's yeah. Phil. Yep, yep. I yep. was like, yeah, but you guys have to know that would be way too obvious. Yes. And anyone who really knows me, I can confidently say it's my second favorite genus of gecko. Leopard geckos. Nah, that'd be too easy. Okay. All right, you want to go back to the first one or... Yeah, thank you, Anna Maria. That's what I said. Oh, my God. There she is. Did he say that as he was picking these? I feel like he did. No, that's not the case at all. It's not a strophe. Fiance throwing me under the bus. How's it feel under there? Cold and damp. All right, let me pull up the answers. Why don't you give us something people got a God's honest chance getting at? No, Jeff, not fan-footed. You guys like all my plywood? Beautiful. Hey, there it is. The first Yeah, one. weird. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that snake. No one? We can't see their hands, Smitty. <laughs> it's because no one's raising them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, for those of you who are unaware which is a lot of us <laughs> which is like 99.9% of people that are watching this right now so the first species was Elapsodiae Sundevili which is Sundevil's garter snake Sundevil was a sure it's not Swedish pronounced no I think it's Sundevil like Cruella de Vil no, well, the guy was—I'm pretty sure the guy was Swedish. Soon, anyway, it's—it's it's it's of the Elapsoidae, which is African garter snakes, which are not related to our garter snakes in North America. These are actually elapids, and uh, they're semi-fossorial, and you, most Nate. of them have these bands to them. And uh, hand. oh, thank you, Nate. Thank you. And uh, they're semi-fossorial, and they're found throughout Southern Africa. And they're very misunderstood, um, but they're incredibly beautiful. Great sunset colors, black and white like a cow king, heavy bands, light bands, broad bands, a wide assortment of... Uh, Honestly? Yeah. 
It looks like the wish version of a kukri. That is the meanest thing you've ever seen. In life. <laughs> no offense, Travis Wyman. I was just—I uh, bet your Wyman's this, getting excited. I said this, kukri. Uh, no offense, Travis Wyman. This smokes it. It reminds me of like if a kukri and a scarlet snake had a baby, but then there was like a weird paternity uncertainty with like maybe a coral cobra and a long nose snake. Like no one's really sure who the dad is. It's a Jerry Springer of African lab. It is a Jerry Springer of African lab. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening to this, it's a, you took the Wikipedia picture. I did. I had to. It was Damn. a really good picture. That's probably the only picture that exists. That's probably no, no. That's the only picture I could find with this like oh, okay. coloration. So yeah, most of these are are black and brown banded. They have a very long uh, uh, nape stripe that comes down the bridge of their nose. They're just a cool snake. The head looks like the kind like. That's what a like a kid would draw. If you said, draw me a snake right now, that's what you'd get. Yeah, it has a very ominous head. And they have an iridescence to them, kind of like a rainbow boa. Um, but they're smooth scaled, and they're fairly venomous. So, Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. They're elapids. No, it's elapsoidia. Elapsoidia? Is it elapsoidia it's, or elapsoidia? It's It <laughs> Looks like Eddie Munster. <laughs> it does. It does look like Eddie Munster. Or or Danzig. <laughs> yeah. Ominous head is my new band. <laughs> nice. Okay, this was the one that I like how you give Virginia State Parks credit here. That's a nice well, touch. it's because I couldn't get the actual the Wikipedia one was there's no person tied to it, and then this one it was on the Virginia State Parks like page, and it didn't have a photographer, so I was like, all right, Virginia State Parks, they get the credit. What's wild is that one's so like yellowish tan, it almost looks like a southern. And to be honest, at first I thought it was a southern, and then I saw Virginia, and I was like, what? Say yeah. what? Ton of variation in easterns. That's why they're so cool. Ipers here. Hey, the Ipers. The Pied Iper. Man, Anna Maria's dishing it out tonight. She's, Jesus. yeah, boy, she's on a roll. Yeah, she's out for blood. Heterodon Pledi Rhinos. A good Latin name. Me. I like mm. it. It rolls off the tongue. Pledi Rhinos. Uh, and then, hey, the other lizard that nobody. The only true chondro. Chondrodactylus angulifer, the Namib giant ground gecko. How come you guys didn't know that? How come nobody, you guys couldn't guess that? Look, unbelievable. Gecko people should know that. I was actually thinking someone was going to guess frog eyed or or fish eyed. I thought people were going to go that way. You weren't here, Scott. He was. He was lurking. Can't say that after the fact. Yeah. And honestly, this this is an exceptional looking uh angulifer. It um they don't normally have that high orange and that high ochre brown. Normally they're more like a slaty gray color, but they're super cool. 
So not only did he pick a species that no one's going to know what it was, he also picked a very like abnormal color form that would be completely different from what okay. you Okay. But dude, last week you picked the neonate form that is a completely different color, completely of different what? pattern. The uh Nitsi-Eye. Yeah, but that was like I I try to do it in like levels where it's like easy intermediate. Okay, well if more hard. gecko people just were here, they like would have got it. Expert expert oh, come on like, super easy expert expert jesus and I, to be brutally honest i thought the i thought the hognose was hard because it was an eastern and not a southern <laughs> yep just like the fox snake yep just like the fox snake. i was like no one's gonna no one's gonna get this i was dead wrong yep all right so joe i'll hit you up Jeff, I'll hit you up too because I think they they pretty much answered at the same time. So have some mercy because no one uh, no one got the the other two. So and uh, Paint Shop texts me back. He says he is apologizing. He cannot be here. He's actually got called into work. Boo. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. All good. He's a busy man. He gets a pass. Anna Maria says, Phil set us all up to fail. <laughs> I love you too, honey. <laughs> Slang. I feel Slang. so could have had Iper. Iper could have added a ton of stuff to this because Australia yeah. like entire other language when it comes to this stuff. Very true. I mean they have an entire other language when it comes to like general English too, but Keller said he'd fill in for him. All right. So, you want to give people an idea of what this is about? Did you, did, you, did you see that? What? Keller said he'd fill in for Chris. Oh, well, then, yeah, if you want, send yeah, him the link. Let's do it. Sorry, I'm like trying to multitask and doing a horrible job of it. Keller's probably lying. He's like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that shit. <laughs> Yeah, so explain. Explain while I do. So, all right. So, a couple weeks ago, actually, when Anna Marie and I were on our trip to the Carolinas, uh, we were talking about podcasts and shows and whatever else. And, you know, we were talking about ideas for shows. And, you know, she had brought up a, a great idea of having a, uh, a discussion or, or an episode on Herper slang. A lot of words that we all use in common practice or most of our community use in common practice that a new person or someone who's not as engulfed in it as we are may not understand or may not know. Or maybe they heard them like uh, who, who had said perp earlier. Uh, Jeff Frederick. Oh, OK, so, yeah. So Jeff brought up perp. So not to jump ahead, but when we say perp, we mean perpua maculatus which is the shore pit viper from Southeast Asia. So it's actually in the Tremerserus genus, genus excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Tremerserus papromaculatus comes oh. from the uh, south of Thailand into uh, Malaysia and Singapore and then into northeast or northwestern Sumatra. So like the Straits of Malacca, that whole way into the Indian Ocean, that all, all that area, they're a mangrove species of pit viper. Um, they come in several different color forms and different saddles and stuff. But when we say perp, we're talking about perpua maculatus. Basically, if you take the the ghost chick from the grudge and put it in snake form, yes, that's that's kind of what you get. 
That's exactly what you get. Herper bastardized terminology. That could that's a separate, <coughs> separate section. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. So, uh, so going back to what Anna Marie and I were talking about. So we were driving through the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and uh, you know she'd said, "Well, you guys always talk about a cut, like herping the cut. What's a cut?" And I was like, "We're coming up on this big rock wall. You see this giant rock wall?" She's like, "Yeah." I said, "That's a cut. Basically, instead of someone." making a bridge to go over a mountain or over a foothill excuse me or through a valley they dynamite it and they just blow their way through it makes a rock wall well in places like west texas those rock walls are relatively short and you can walk along them or climb up on top of them and the snakes and lizards yeah the snakes and lizards are active on those rock walls and in a place like west texas it's all private land so the only place that you really can hurt is on the side of the road so that's where I mean you can herp anywhere. It's just yeah, get shot or not. So uh, Smitty and I had basically broke down a list. We, I had my list. He had his list. We kind of blended them together. Um, I talked to Nipper, got some ideas. Talked to Papa Burke, the Podfather. He gave us some ideas. So uh, basically, we're gonna do some herping terms, some like field stuff. And then we have some husbandry stuff, and then we have some general snake stuff. Um, and then, obviously, for all of you that are in the group chat right now, it's all live. If you have a word that we haven't covered or that we didn't cover or that we you, you want to know if we are, throw it up in there, and uh, we'll try and get to it. You know. Um, and again, this is not for the herping veterans. This is not necessarily for the longtime keepers. Uh, a lot of this stuff, most of you have probably heard. This is for people that are just getting into it or honestly never took the time to ask or google it you know which is uh, which is fair to say a lot of us so that actually makes sense you said road cuts are great places to find fossils oh yeah i feel like that's almost cheating it's like yeah we got you know just thousands upon thousands of years of, of rock let's just cut right through the middle of it just look yeah i think about how many fossils were destroyed when they did it Oof. Yeah. yep So we're starting with herping stuff. Yeah, you want to you want to kick the tires, light the fires. Yeah, we have to use it in a sentence as well. Oh, that's right! I forgot we have to use it in a sentence. So what's the first one? <clears throat> well, actually, uh, Scott put a good thing. Uh, says technically, a cut is a geotechnical term, is restricted to cutting away with a grater. I did not know that. That's actually really cool. The use of explosives and drilling is excavation. We learn something new every day. Love it. Yes, and I wonder JT. that. I wonder that's obviously not the same grader that they do on like a conventional graded road, because I feel like you'd need a much bigger, more powerful grader to do like some of the cuts in West Texas. It's like God came down and cut through that mountain with a Ginsu knife. Yeah. Right. So. One of the biggest things we always talk about with herping is road cruising. And I think road cruising can be a lot of different things to a lot of different herpers. Um, Anna Marina got in an argument in the car about, like, is road cruising a made-up term by herpers? It's like, we Googled it, it's not. And basically, road cruising's definition is getting in the car or, or truck or vehicle and just driving to drive. Like, just going for a cruise, right? But... Um, but we're in doing the context it. of herping. So I'll use it in a sentence. Yes, feel free. Hey, man, 
my girlfriend just kicked me out of the house. Do you want to go road cruising? Nice, nice. That was good. So like- <laughs> when we talk about road cruising, it's a bunch of friends get in the car and you're driving down a road, whether it be paved or improved or dirt or whatever, and you're looking for animals crossing the road or on the side of the road. Um, some people will drive to an area, they'll like do a lap of one road and then get out and walk the sides, walk the shoulders of the road. Some people will really just drive up and down the same road over and over again. Uh, it depends on where you are. It depends on the time of day. It depends on what kind of animals you're looking for. Um, and road cruising can be a lot of fun. If you've got friends in the car, the camaraderie, the laughs, the jokes, all that stuff. It can also be really boring because you're driving around aimlessly well, I mean, not aimlessly, but you're driving around looking at nothing, staring at the road for hours on end. Um, a lot of Europeans and non-Americans usually poo-poo it and frown upon it because they're like, oh, that's not real herping. You know, a lot of people even consider it cheating because well, this is the land of ingenuity. This is the land of McDonald's and Walmart. Yeah, right. We work so, smarter, not harder around here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Scott says they call it night driving in Australia, so... And yeah, I mean, and that's basically it is you're, you're going out at the right time of day, looking for the right species and you're just driving on the road. And, uh, and everybody says compound sentence right there. Yeah. Yeah. Read it. Read it. Let's go road cruising and then stop and herp the cuts. God, I love you, babe. Mom went to bingo and locked me out of the house. Do you want to go road cruise some corals? (laughs) Scott says yank herping. Very, very true. Whatever. I'll take it, man. Hey, the only sub... They don't do it because they can't do it without hitting a damn kangaroo. I mean, those things will fight you. I want to fight one still. There you go. So, another term, the worst part about road cruising is DORs. What's a DOR? A DOR, sadly to say, is dead on road, which means that the animal was hit by a car or vehicle. It's now dead, which is sad. But it can also be somewhat helpful because, A, you know you're in the right spot. And, B, if you're doing any kind of research, now you know the time of day. You can kind of get an idea of when it was hit and what is kind of in the area. Um, I also want to, jumping on that whole DOR thing, I kind of want to stay away from acronyms tonight. We're going we're gonna to talk about a couple acronyms just because they are so common. Um, but there's so many acronyms pretending to so many things that we're going to kind of leave that out tonight guys yank herping sounds inappropriate it does it does bill dirty dirty boy so yeah some sick bastards man yes they are god bless them so yeah so that's road cruising basically driving up and down the road looking for animals um another one is flipping tin so the term to flip tin comes from herpers leaving pieces of sheet metal typically tin or aluminum or whatever on the side of the road as a uh a happy hiding place for snakes so the tin gets warm from the sun it provides shade it provides warmth it provides you know safety from the elements the herpers go over they flip the tin over whether it be with a hook or their hands or whatever and hope to find a reptile or amphibian underneath that piece of tin Uh, a lot of people use plywood and a lot of people also use sheets of carpeting old carpeting um, so yeah, so if you ever hear people talk about flipping tin, that's what that means. And uh, in the context of a sentence, 
So I was over at that meth head shack flipping some tin, and I found a really nice Scarlet King snake. Well done, old man. Well done. Yeah, and B- Billy Jenkins says you, you could shorten it to flipping. You know, hey, let's go flipping. Old man Weatherby shot at me with his BB gun because I was in his backyard flipping tin. That's a very American statement. <laughs> uh, in situ. In situ, yes. In, in situ is another great one. In situ means in its natural environment. Where it was undisturbed, unmolested, exactly as it, it was, was found. As it was found. And there's also ex situ, which is not in its natural state. So going back to, we, I have on my list, uh, you know, herping the cut. Okay, glades. So typically a glade is a open, flat area of grassland. Sometimes it's underwater. Sometimes it's uh, a, a grassy field within the lowland area. Um, when I talk about it, we're talking about the Everglades. However, a lot of people in Florida, especially herpers, they say, oh, we're going to the Everglades or we're going to the Glades. That does not mean Everglades proper. So the Everglades in Florida is actually a massive, massive wetland system that goes from the Kissimmee River Valley just south of Orlando all the way down to the very bottom tip of Florida. Now, there is a national park called Everglades National Park, and it is massive. And it's at the bottom of Florida right at the tip, right before the Keys. However, most people that say, oh, we're herping the glades, they're not talking about Everglades National Park because you really can't go herping in Everglades National Park because everything's protected and you can't touch anything. Um, People do it. People do photography. They do hiking and and all that stuff. And and that's great. Um, But most of the time we talk about the glades, we're talking about uh, any kind of wetland ecosystem that typically inhabits sawgrass. Sawgrass is a grass that grows in water in wetland areas and the blades of the grass are super duper sharp and jagged like a saw. Yeah. And if you're careful that stuff down here too, it sucks. Yeah, you will get cut real easy if you mess with sawgrass. So it's like paper cuts. Like you have to hit it at like just the right angle. Yeah. But when you do, you, you feel it, you know it. Yes. Yes. Um, Another uh, locality thing would be the playa. So the, la playa is, you know, the beach in Spanish, but a playa is typically a flat, low elevation water pond that's very thin and oftentimes dries out at certain times of the year. Um, a lot of wetland grasses will grow in it, but it's not necessarily a wetland. Um, a lot of bird hunters, migratory bird hunters and bird watchers will go to these playas and look for different crane species and stork species because so many migratory shorebirds will go there. And it's a great place to find certain amphibians and certain reptiles at certain times of the year. Speaking of, I'm never calling a salamander a salamander again. They will forever be gummy lizards. <laughs> gummy lizards. <laughs> That's good. I saw that the other day. That was good. That was good. Uh um, so going on the same thing with playas, yeah, you also get, um, and now I messed up my, my list here. Hold on a second. Flag ponds. So a flag pond 
is basically a playa. It's basically a lowland, very shallow wetland, but it gets this particular type of grass. And there's multiple species of this grass that grows in these little wet spots, these little wet patches. Um, and they look like little flags. And in the wind, they will they will wave. Um, this is typically not so water-based as it is mud and silt and uh, clay-based. So it's very, very muddy, very, very gooey, um, like sandpiper habitat and a lot of uh, species of snake like garter snakes and cottonmouths and a lot of more heavily aquatic stuff, Nerodia, they'll inhabit these flag ponds. And in the flag ponds are usually a runoff system or like a drainage system for some of the other higher elevation uh, waterways that will typically dry up. So when those higher elevation wetlands dry up, these flag ponds will still stay fairly moist to keep some of those amphibians and shorebirds and stuff going. And yeah, it, very, very similar to a bog. So. Vamos a la playa. Is that let's go to the beach? We go to the beach, yeah. We go to the beach, yeah. Um, coinciding with that, you also, in the southeastern United States, you get what's called a cypress head. Now, a cypress, cypress trees need a lot of water. And what happens is these trees bundle together and they keep shade and they basically make their own little island forest. And that island forest will typically have excess water at the bottom. And a lot of herpers will meander their way through these little island forests, these little cypress heads to go looking for certain rat snake species and um, king snake species and a lot of um, frogs and amphibians that need to stay humid throughout the year they'll go and seek shelter and refuge in these little, I don't want to say little, they're probably like 10 or 15 acres each, little micro forests that are still wet at the bottom. Now, a lot of people confuse a cypress head with a palmetto head. A palmetto head is the exact same thing, but now it's high elevation, sandy soil with, with saw palmetto, which is a type of bush. And I mean, Justin lives in the palmetto state. I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, boy, when those palmettos uh, when they get thick, it's uh, it's pretty pretty crazy. It's crazy. Again, those are also sort of like sharp-leaved, uh, spiny-stemmed. Just you see them, and there's really no wonder why why eastern diamondbacks typically are are found in them because it's great cover for things like rabbits and things like that that they would normally eat because birds prey probably are, are less likely to see things scurrying about uh, in those those big areas of, of palms because they do they don't get super tall uh, they're not super low to the ground either um, I think most of them would be five, about five foot yeah like waist to chest height for me I'm like yeah. six four like tallest ones being like probably close to chest or shoulder height um, but I mean you get a like a big big mass of those things in an area like you can't see anything in there oh so, yeah it makes sense why why they'd be such good cover for so many different species both reptilian and not and uh yeah it's pretty cool i mean i i see them and i'm so tempted to go like walking through them and seeing what what turns up because nothing ever that i can imagine except for maybe deer like is going to go in there and disturb things but 
it's also pretty pretty uh it's thick so oh yeah i don't know it's that very it's i don't very know what the point would be almost because you'd probably be you'd be hard pressed to be able to see what's going on you know from the waist down so yeah i know a lot of a lot of herpers in north florida and georgia they'll um they'll walk the roads the back roads the dirt roads that go through all the palmetto heads and then as they're doing that depending on what time of day it is the sun has cast shadows shielding one side of the palmetto head mm-hmm. and they'll walk the shade side and by the time they get all the way around it the sun's moved a little bit or a lot depending on how far away they are and then they'll walk back the other side so they get shade both times not shade on them shade on the animals right and hope hope that you'll be able to see you know a pine snake or a diamondback or a pygmy you know chilling in the shade yeah i mean we're not talking about like a couple of like a clump of some bushes i mean we're talking about like yeah when you have some of these 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 palmetto heads it is like almost it's acres in some instances like especially like hunting island state park which is the state park i like to go to a lot um and walk the trails there like there are some sections where it's just like that's all you see for you know a couple hundred yards it's just crazy it's just a sea of of palmettos and yeah it's pretty neat it's it's cool habitat yeah very very cool habitat even if like i love going because like even if you don't see anything it's just super cool it's it's so about jurassic park it very very prehistoric yeah um so now uh nipper actually came up with this one um we all know what a snake hook is we all have certain snake hooks that do certain tasks. You know, you have a baby snake hook for baby snakes. You know, you have a, a longer snake hook, you know, for longer snakes, you know, keep your distance, what have you. Um, and then you'll also hear us use the term field hook or as Nipper would put it, a stump ripper. So a field hook is a snake hook that is made like industrial strength okay it's usually stainless steel it usually has some kind of you know carbon steel carbide head to it and it's typically in an l shape not a u and the field hook is used for lifting pieces like giant pieces of tin or plywood or ripping apart a stump so if you find an old rotten log i can take my field hook or stump ripper and i can stab it with that that field hook that stump ripper and rip that stump rip that log open see if there's anything inside the rotten log or simply just roll over a rotten log or roll over you know pieces of debris or rubbish or what have you so anytime they're worth every penny they're worth every penny i love mine and it, it takes some getting used to with the l shape because there is no there's no actual like belly to the hook it's just a 90 degree angle typically or maybe like an 80 82 degree angle um so it does take some getting used to in terms of actually using it on a snake. However, when Smitty and I are in the field, like, yeah, I always have a normal U-shaped hook with me, but that's the hook. If we're going hiking, that's the hook. I can yeah. use it as a walking stick. I can use it to, you know, balance myself if I got to grab something that's far away or use it for its intended purpose, ripping open stumps. You know, it's worth its weight in gold. And they are destructive if you're using them, uh, like a moron yeah yeah and that, that's another thing scott makes a great point you know they are destructive if you're going to a place that is frequented by nature lovers herpers birders hikers mountain bikers and there's this classic log that's always there don't destroy it with your field hook 
use the field hook to flip it over. You don't see anything. Put it back exactly the way it was so that the animals that do live underneath it can continue to live underneath it. And that the people that are enjoying the same area that you're enjoying, it's undisturbed and not, you know, ruined for the next. But I mean, as far as like for flipping tin though, um, I like those more than just a standard, like you hook. Um, yeah. By a long shot. Cause I don't know, for some reason when I'm using a U hook and I'm trying to like pull some tin up or, or flip it, it just doesn't get the same. You don't have that hard angle that really gets right. that, that tin edge and pulls it. So I don't know. I like that L shape hook more in general. I don't know about you, but there's just something about that. I like that simpler just angle. And I, I almost prefer that more over the U hooks. So, yeah. And I wish they made smaller versions of the field hook. Like, if I get that neonate hook in an L hook, I would love it. Yeah, yeah, that that would be that would be pretty cool. So uh, let me get back to my list. Um, torch flashing and eye shining. So anybody who's ever heard of a deer in the headlights, obviously we know that certain animals' eyes reflect with light and they shine back at you so in europe it's referred to as torch flashing because they don't call it a flashlight they call it a torch same as the, the boys and girls down under so and that's the other thing too is spotlighting can be very different so when you're torch flashing or eye shining you typically have the light very close to your face or on your head and the idea is that the light is being cast in the same direction at the same angle as your eyes. So that way, when you actually see the reflection of the animal's eyes, it's directly in front of you. And as Scott has mentioned before in other podcasts, you can actually just keep walking straight and you'll end up at your animal. At the same time, it's kind of inhumane because certain species, you're blinding them temporarily because all they see is this bright light. They have no idea what's going on. Hence the famous quote, like a deer in the headlights. Um, now in my opinion, spotlighting is very different. Spotlighting is when you have a extremely powerful flashlight or torch and you're driving or walking through an area and you're shining this light out into the open area in the hopes of finding an animal that way. Um, yeah, you may get some eye shine, but this is more so that you can catch the broad side of an animal. And that way you can identify it easier. This would be more for, say, a bigger game like mammals or large birds or alligators or whatever. Florida Panthers. Yeah. Boy, if I saw that and I was out herping in the middle of the night, I would piss myself. I've been lucky. I've seen a lot of them, man. And it's nowhere near as scary as you think. But it's still, know, you still get the hairs in your neck, man. After, that, after that black bear... <laughs> Big Ben was kind of like, mm, I like him behind the glass a little more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was it for my herping terms that I came up with. Is there anything else that you might have for herping terms? No. Okay. Most of the stuff I had was in relation to captivity. All right. Well, then you want to kick off some husbandry stuff? Um. So... First one I have, and it's not necessarily husbandry stuff. I guess it's more general, but like hots. So I feel like that's yeah. something that is almost exclusively used. That's a term used in U.S. herpeticulture. Yes. Um, I know a lot of like 
the European folks and probably some of the Australians, if not a hand, a good bit of them kind of scoff at it in a sort of a joking manner. Cause it's just, I've, I've seen people comment about it on, on various posts and stuff over the years. And it's the European guys are always like, I don't know why they call them hots. Ha ha ha. You know? Yes. Scott hates that term. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. I can, it's a little, I don't know what the word is for it, but I get it. I understand. It's slang. It's, uh, it's slang. But... Yeah. And to be honest, I, I typically use the term venomous just because most people, unless they're in like the venomous community, they don't know the term hots. Right. You know, which so that was actually a great word for this for this episode, you know. I'm actually curious where it started. Like what when did it pop up? Well, the first time I ever heard it was the second annual issue of Reptiles Venomous Exclusive magazine. So the first year that Reptiles magazine put out a venomous only issue. It was just called like the venomous only issue or venom annual venomous issue or whatever they called it. And then the next year it was called the annual hots issue or hot issue. It had like the word hot yeah. like, it was yeah. on it. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it was an one with the monocle. monocle. Yeah, yeah, it was, albino albino monocle. Monocle. It was yeah. the H, the monocle. And yes, the yes. So that was the first time. I, I mean, I was a kid. I don't know. How long ago was that? Jesus. That was like early 2000s well i thought it was earlier than that i thought it was um, like late 90s maybe it would have been like early early 2000s okay like 2000 2001 something like that one yeah somewhere in there yeah so that that was the first time i ever heard it um and it just it stuck especially in a lot of american venomous keeping you know um there was also was there a show called the hots show and they there were i think it was in was it in carolina in south carolina yeah, I think it was the fire expo, maybe. Well, no, because there was a fire show in Orlando that I'm pretty sure was a venomous show, but it had nothing to do with fire. Like that was just that was just the name of the show. And I think somebody else, another, you know, uh, 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 show promoter rode that coattail and said, oh, well, there the fire mm -hmm. will be the hot. You know, I, I don't know. Could be mistaken. I don't know a decent venomous keeper that uses the term hot. That's, yeah. I can say that too. <laughs> but there, and then Scott also says a lot of non venomous keepers refer to venomous keepers as hot keepers. So, I mean, they could just be attractive. Who knows? Hey. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I kind of understand why there's, you know, it's kind of like gets an eye roll, but it's slang. Yeah. That's it. Um, so another one I have uh, is popped. Some of these I feel are like painfully obvious. Yeah, but they're not though. They're they're really not. That's a great one. Tell us about like, popped. Tell know. us how you got popped. <laughs> I am amazing, Smitty. But that's besides the point. Oh man, modest too. Oof double threat <laughs> uh so when you're you're sexing uh baby snakes you know trying to figure out if it's a male or female uh most of the time you can pop them which is your if it's a male when you apply some pressure uh past the vent on the tail sort of what's the vent forward cloaca there you go 
See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. was like make a list. And I'm like, I couldn't think of any. Yeah. But I know in like normal conversation, I'd have like 20 of them pop up that I didn't think of. Yeah. So, the vent um, is the cloaca. If you don't know what a cloaca is, you should Google it. But go on. Sorry. Um, so when you put your finger past the vent and there is a certain way to do it, it's not as easy as, as I kind of make it sound. But um, if you roll your, your thumb sort of towards the vent, if it's a male, hemipenes pop out. Um, most of the time, if it's, if they don't, then it's likely a female. Um, so usually you'll see someone will be saying, you know, oh, I have this corn for sale at pop, pop male. Right. Or pop and female. I'll also say this as well, is that no one should try to pop their snake without having an experienced person show them first, because there is a high probability that you will damage or you, you will severely maim, if not severely injure damage whatever that snake yes so there is a technique to it and it should be shown to you by an experienced person um on the topic of like sexing um there's ratios so jt yes. mentioned earlier that a lot of people ask him about the you know 1.0.0 or 0.2.1 um, so basically you have the first zero, which is unknown. Second zero is male. Third zero is female. So if you have 1.0.0, you have one unknown sex on that snake. Um, if you have 1.2, then you have a trio, which is one male, two females. Uh, and then reverse trio, which is the opposite. You have two males and one female. Um... And so when, you know, when, if you're buying, see a group of snakes for sale, whether it's a pair or something else, usually it says 1.1 or 2.1 or, you know, it makes things a lot easier. And I don't know who came up with, with that system too, but it, it's kind of perfect in a way, you know, it's like, it is simple, easy to understand. Yeah. Just, just for, just for people's edification. When we're talking about this this point value system, there's essentially three spots for digits, okay? And it goes from left to right. So if I have 1.1.1, the first one is male, the second one is female, and the third one is unknown. So if I have 1.2.1, that's one male, again, from left to right, one male, two female, one unknown. Always left to right. Is the un unknown one at the very end? Um, unknown one's at the end. It's male first, then female. It then is. Unknown. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was using the metric system. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong side of the road. So, yeah. Three, three digits with decimal points in between them. First position is male. Second position is female. Third position is unknown. So, 1.1.1. Is one male, one female, one unknown. One unsexed. One unsexed, yes. Undetermined sex. Yep. What do you have? So do you have I've got, I mean, I have some other stuff, but I figured. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can go back and forth. Um, so I'm going to flip flop around a little bit, but since we're talking about, you know, sex determining babies. We always use the term neo. What is a neo? Neo stands for neonate. 
right? Much like you'd hear neonatal in, in, in infants. Um, this can also be a hatchy or a freshy, as they say in Europe. So freshly hatched, right? Hatchy, freshy. But when we refer to neo, we're talking about a newborn snake or a newly hatched snake. Um, but I feel like you really only see that that terminology with a lot of like the like chondro crowd in particular. Like I don't yeah. see it used with corns and and other sort of sections of the hobby a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of times you just say baby. Yeah, I don't. I yeah. use neo a lot just because it's like short form, like short yeah. form. Whether I'm talking about corns or anything else, I'm like, yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, for neos like. Just because they're hatchlings, or when you're typing or something, you're you know doing it's just right. neo. So, speaking of baby snakes, I have a list of feeding terms that a lot of us take for granted. Um, the first one is drop feeding. What is drop feeding? Drop feeding is when I take a prey item, whether it be alive or dead. And I literally drop it in the cage, close the cage, close the enclosure, and walk away. And now Which I was surprised to hear, like Loafman said recently on one of the podcasts, and he hadn't heard that term until I think Jake and I had mentioned it, like it had been talking about it on one episode. Mm -hmm. um, not that I'm saying that we came up with it or anything like that. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, drop feeding, you know, used it a lot for all kinds of stuff. It's Yeah, and, and again, it could be a live prey item. It could be a frozen thawed. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's the, the act of the keeper literally dropping the prey item in the enclosure and then leaving alone and not interacting with the animal or the prey item at all. Um, best case scenario, the newborn or the baby or the new acquisition animal just eats it on its own. Um, and a lot of people like myself and Smitty, we try that first because you, you may very well get lucky right out of the gate. You know, I think it's perfect because it's non-invasive in a sense, like right. especially if I have something that's a really nervous eater. I like it because I'm not in there. I'm not finding it under the hide. I'm not digging for it. Like I'm literally letting it figure it out, like find it on right. its own. It's very, You're not causing non-invasive. I'm not right. interacting with that animal like it smells food, says, oh, there's food nearby. It starts cruising around, finds it, eats it. And I didn't have to do anything to. Yeah. Stress it out. Expedite that. So, so a lot of times, too, you'll passive notice. Passive feeding is another. Yeah, pa yeah. Passive feeding. That's a good one. Um, a lot of times you'll notice that the specimen at hand is interested in that dropped food item. But it didn't want it. It Maybe you used a frozen thawed prey item and it sniffed it and licked it and was like, eh, it's not alive. I don't want it. Now we go to what's referred to as tease feeding. Now, tease feeding is a very, very fine line between in excess levels of stress depends and, on, depends and, on the species. and peaking the animal's interest enough to take the prey item. Uh, there is, I don't want to say an art form to it. Sometimes you just wiggle the mouse in front of the snake and whap, it eats it, you know? Other times you have to Beat use that, yeah, use that prey item in a more aggressive way, but that also comes down to the keeper being able to read some signs of the animal and know when not to cross that line into stress, you know, fight or flight mode. Um, sometimes you will agitate the animal by tease feeding it to the point where it starts to become defensive, 
it may even bite the prey item in a defensive strike, but at the same time realize, oh, wait, that's food. I can eat that and actually take the prey item. So it's very species specific and it's very scenario specific as well because you got to kind of read the room. Um, red hot. That's another one. Yeah. Pinkies, red hot pinkies. Yep. It's like day old. Day old. Yeah. Yeah. Day old pinkies. Pinky being a, a newborn mouse or rat. Um, then we talk about, uh, so we talk about tailing, right? I tailed those babies. So to tail a snake is typically to pick up the snake by the tail. Um, this is a technique used with a lot of venomous and a lot of non-venomous too, where you're using your other hand or a snake hook to support the main body of the animal. And then your uh, other hand is holding the snake up by the tail. When we're talking about feeding and, and neonates and baby snakes, when we talk about giving it a tail or tailing it, that meant that the baby snake or lizard in question is not big enough to take a legitimate prey item. And therefore, we've cut off the tail of a rat or a mouse that's already been, you know, pre-killed. And we're using that tail as a prey item. Um, and that bleeds into assist feeding and force feeding. Now, and Smitty has way more work with this than I do. Um, there's several different thoughts on this, right? I am not personally a fan of assist or force feeding. I do everything in my power to not do it because it does cause a shitload of stress on the animal. However, there is another thought process of it's a little bit of stress to get those nutrients in that animal and hopes that it will then learn on its own. Oh, wait, I got nutrients from this. Now I can take it on my own. Fair assumptions, maybe? Kind of, yeah, to sort of jumpstart the digestive system and right. get things sort of moving and the you know the processes and um, metabolism to kind of kick into gear a little bit. Right. And when we say assist feeding, that means that we've essentially coaxed the snake into opening its mouth and we put that prey item in there and then walk away in hopes that it takes it and swallows it on its own. And then force feeding it would be doing the same thing, but then restraining the animal and manually putting that prey item down its throat. See, and that's kind of where tailing is a little, little odd because I consider tailing to be more assist feeding than anything else. Sure, sure. Personally, and yeah. I did it a lot with Boiga. I did it with some Chondro babies. I've mm -hmm. done it with, um, I think I did it with some Alterna. And to talk about sort of the stress aspect of it, you know, Cody Bartolini, I think had a really good point when he talked about it. And that was, it's like, yeah, you know, in particular, when we were talking about chondros, um, you know, you can sit there for 10 or 15 minutes and beat the hell out of a baby with a, with a mouse and hopes that it grabs it, or you can put a tail in it in 15 seconds and be done. Right. You know, right. personally, I think that 15 seconds to just get a tail in there, slide it down, let them finish it because that's where sort of the assist feeding aspect comes. I, you know, I try to get that tail in as far as possible and then let them do the rest of the work. Cause once it does get to a certain point, it seems that they, they get the, the idea and they, they finish it. Right. Um, the like force feeding, I've never force feeding like whole like pinkies 
I've tried it before and I've never been able to successfully like get it to go down. Like I just, for whatever reason, it's the, like the angle of the head and some of the other stuff for me, it just, I can't, it doesn't work. So yeah, I don't even bother anymore. I just, I stick I'm not to into it. and eventually they'll kick into gear and right. Right. And, and I've, I've assist fed snakes in the past where I basically got them to open their mouth. I stuck the food in their mouth and then walked away and they took it. Um, I don't like force feeding animals. I think it's really messed up. Uh, I understand it has its purpose and I have done it and I have helped friends do it. Like absolute last resort. It, it, it's the, it is the last resort. And, and it's typically not a baby. It's usually a, an adult that maybe had medical issues or a wild caught adult that's trying to be established. And it's on the brink of, it's on the brink of going too far. Um, and again, this is not something that we're really going to go into tonight, but there is a lot of technique and knowledge that needs to be learned before anyone ever tries to force feed an animal. Um, I have watched people kill animals because they tried to put a pinky down its throat. So I consider that forced Brandon, but that's a, that's sort of an exception, I guess. Cause that's yeah. Tube feeding. That's, so that's, that's actually, that's my next one. Um, so, yeah, so we're, so we're good on, we're good on the whole tailing thing in terms of using a rat's tail, as well as, you know, picking the snake up by the tail and then going into assist feeding where I've placed the prey item in the snake's mouth in hopes that we'll eat it on its own. And then to force feeding, which is where you're forcing it down the animal's throat. Um, then we go into to tube feeding. So typically tube feeding is where I have an appropriately sized tube attached to an appropriately, an appropriately sized syringe of liquid diet. And now that tube is then inserted down the snake's throat. And then that liquid diet is then injected down the snake's throat into its stomach. To, to you, I think it, it usually even goes farther, like it goes, goes straight to the stomach. And... Right, right. Um, now you also have referred to as tube feeding where the snake itself is placed inside of a tube and a prey item is slid in the other side of the tube in the hopes that the snake will consume that prey item. Um, it's very, very rare. And uh, has that ever worked for anybody? It, it, it does. It, we used to do it with monocle cobras that were pains in the ass, especially albinos with a really bad eyesight. Mm. Um, and it was it was super simple, like not invasive at all. Like snake goes in the right, tube, right. frozen thawed rat sticking their side. It's already pissed. Off. Yeah, it's like oh, there's a rat in this tube. I'll eat it. You know, that's the only um, thing I can grab a hold of. So I guess that will be it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then that goes to, to tubes themselves. And we said, oh, I tubed the snake. 99% of the time, they are not talking about tube feeding. They are talking about restraining the animal inside of a tube, typically venomous, so that uh, medical stuff can be performed on the animal or an overall visual and physical inspection of the animal can, can happen. Um, it could even be for, you know, transportation reasons. But yeah, when we talk about I tubed that snake, it's typically you know, we're sliding the snake inside of a restraining tube so that the, the dangerous end is in the tube, so to speak. Typically, they're clear tubes so you can see what you're doing. And that way you can get hands on without having to grab the animal by the head or anything like that. It's really handy even for non-venomous stuff. Like usually when I have to sex an adult corn, you know, I'll tube it and I'll have Jake or Katie hold the snake while I while I probe it. Um, and it just makes it easier. You know, it's like... 
when you have they're more straightened out when they're in that tube so it's easier to kind of get a just a solid angle instead of having them like flipping around and spraying musk everywhere which i mean they're going to do that regardless but um like i've done it with chondros so if i had chondros with like stuck eyeshad or something i'll tube them and get them to the point where i can you know get them right behind the head and then i can do whatever i need to do and let them go um i find it to be faster to just get it done lower stress levels right um, you know as, as best as i can but um i used it for for boygo and i had to to get like stuck shut off the tail tips mm-hmm. um so it, it like it does have its place with non-venomous stuff too and i, I think i've even used it for chance and i uh once or twice maybe i think i used it for the scrub at one point for something um and sort of quick little hack um what i use is if you go this is for non-venomous stuff this is not for venomous stuff do not use these for venomous animals for the love of god um lowe's sells these tubes that you get to transport like fluorescent lights in i guess to sort of protect them from getting them banged around or whatever you can get one that come in like two foot and three foot versions i think but you can get them at lowe's or home depot or wherever whatever hardware store uh i think they're usually like three bucks or so a piece and i take one of those and i just cut it in half yeah and i use that for stuff and it that thing is come in clutch so many times for all kinds of stuff so yeah when i when i had a lot of rat snakes and, and big king snakes you know i mean i had like five or six adult going eye excuse me means eye now and uh i would tube the king snake and i mean it's a king snake like not in any danger but i would tube the king snake and i would just stick it under my armpit so that i could you know probe or whatever or palpate yeah, make things easier right just, and that way the thing's not you know i could i could do it without the tube but it's probably going to bite me on the bicep so <laughs> it's easiest to just have those extra tubes mm-hmm. handy um another one that anna marie came up with hide you know oh the snake is in its hide well a lot of people think like okay hidey hole uh, yeah, the, basically a, a cave, a secluded area, a hide within an enclosure so the animal can physically hide. We also talk about what's called a humid hide. A humid hide is a hiding spot where you've added some kind of media to raise the humidity within that hide. So if I have one of the black plastic caves or a little rock rock cave where the top of the rock opens and there's a little hole in the side, I could put moss or wet paper towel or wet newspaper in there and basically allow it to be its own little hiding place with an elevated humidity. That also segues into a nest box. We always talk about, oh, did you give it a nest box? A nest box is basically a giant humid hide where a mother who's gravid, i.e. American pregnant, (laughs) um, and humanoid pregnant, um, that gravid snake can go inside that giant humid hide to lay her eggs or have her litter or what have you bill says in the hardware industry those tubes are becoming obsolete if you find them buy them yeah there you go i need to be hitting up lows yeah he says ace discontinued them which i guess makes sense because everything's going to led now so the the need for you know fluorescent lights for indoor lighting is uh not not as as necessary as it used to be yeah, yeah. I don't have to worry about breaking LEDs and glass going everywhere. Right. Um, just going back to feeding stuff, uh, we always talk about scenting. Oh, I scented it with a frog or I scented it with lizard skin. So scenting 
is when I have a, I have a, a reptile or amphibian, typically reptile, that does not want to eat the prey that I've given it. And therefore, I will then take a different prey item and I will use that prey item to rub that prey item scent on the one I intend to feed to the animal. So if I have a mouse and I'm the trying old to switcheroo, the old switcheroo, right? So if I have a mouse, I'm trying to feed it to a snake and the snake doesn't want the mouse because it doesn't like mice or maybe it doesn't, it doesn't know it likes mice yet. <laughs> um, and let's say it's a lizard eater predominantly. Now, some people might say you should feed it lizards. Yes, you probably should, but there's a lot of reasons why we don't. Um, maybe lizards aren't available. Maybe lizards are really, really expensive. Maybe lizards have a lot of parasites and you're concerned about, you know, cross-contamination of pathogens. Whatever the reason may be, the goal is to get this particular snake to eat the mouse, not the lizard. So what I will do is I will have a frozen lizard and I will thaw that lizard out when I thaw out the frozen mouse. And that way it's thawing together and they're marinating in each other's juices. Um, I've also taken a frozen lizard and literally rubbed it on a frozen thawed mouse to just take the scent of the lizard and put it on that mouse. Um, in the case of my telescopist babies, I took lizard shed skin and I wrapped a frozen thawed pinky in lizard shed, like a little burrito and that worked and they ate it. Um, and there's also several companies out um, like Reptilinks where they basically have a liquid chemical that's made from frogs and lizards and snails and you add this liquid scent to a prey item like a mouse to feed and entice the said snake um sometimes it works like a million bucks sometimes it doesn't work at all um and that's just the process of scenting is just trying different things i'm going through it right now with the stilettos so yeah, and so the reason I, I recommend the lighting tubes as opposed to like the venomous grade tubes is the venomous grade tubes are expensive. Yes, they are. But those should be used for venomous and the simple Home Depot tubes can be used for pretty much everything else. Well put, well put. Smaller stuff. So like those tubes I think are usually only like two, two and a half inches in diameter. So it's not like something you can use for, you know, an adult boa. Right, um, right. But for colubrids and sort of thinner stuff, they're perfect. Just side note. Um, well put. So going back to scenting, um, one of the things that we do before we get to the scenting point um, is what we call braining. Um, braining is a great way to entice a snake to eat a prey item. Braining is when you have a and again, for the YouTube people listening to this, a already euthanized frozen prey item that you've then thawed. And then you take a small needle or a syringe or not syringe. Yeah, syringe would work. I just take a razor or, blade. Or a razor blade. And you're putting a very small incision or a puncture wound into that prey item's brain. And you're going to get some of those brain juices to come out. Not a lot, just a drop or two. And that, for whatever reason, that sweet, sweet, delicious brain juice turns everything on. And it usually works um, on a lot of species, especially with colubrids. However, it may not. 
it's not guaranteed, but that is something that we try. So if you say, so I'm talking to Smitty about my, my new baby telescopist and I say, yeah, man, I tried everything. I even brained some, some pinkies. That does not mean I took a handful of live pinkies and popped all their heads open. That is yeah, not the case. Don't, no, don't be, don't be a sick. Fuck. Yes. Don't be a sick fuck. Um, I'm, I'm not take, even going to bother turning monetization on for this one. Cause what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, you, I'm going to go now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, but it, it does work like a million bucks um, with a lot of speed. Yeah, yeah, it's odd. Like you wouldn't think that that would make a difference, but for whatever reason, yeah, there's some some. I don't. It doesn't seem to be a species specific thing, but some of them, man, it's just like like all of a sudden they're like, oh wait, that's food. Like obviously, yeah, it's weird. And to go along with braining. If you listen to this show on a fairly regular basis, you've heard Smitty and I talk about cuts. Cutting. We don't, we don't mean rock cuts. We mean mouse cuts. So, Smitty, take it away. Oh, man. If you've, if you've listened to us, you've heard my spiel on, on yes. cutting prey yes. items. Basically, the Cliff Notes version is you take a frozen thawed prey item you make some cuts down the back, either one long one, or I prefer to do like four so perpendicular to the spine down the back. Uh, and the sort of what's on paper, what's supposed to happen is it's supposed to make the efficiency of those animals being able to digest that item and get past the skin, which is what a large majority of the digested process spends time trying to get through to get to the good stuff. Um, by making these cuts, you're making that process a lot easier and a lot more efficient per prey item. Um, there was a small sample size study done a couple years ago where someone took a group of corn snakes and they did various numbers of cuts for different groups. And the ones that had a, you know, a minimum of four cuts, growth rates were crazy high in comparison to everything else. So I think there's something to it. I do it with my stuff because it takes two seconds to do. Um, I do it with adult adult animals especially females that are going into breeding season or are possibly you know got eggs happening because i basically want them to get the most out of each meal and expend less energy trying to trying to do right. that right. Um, i think they get more per meal out of it because like i said they're not spending so much energy and, and resources on just trying to get past the skin um to me anecdotally it seems like they digest meals way faster than if you just give it to them straight yeah um i've noticed like i mean i'll feed all the baby corns and i'll do that and i mean that lump within you know 48 hours is gone so um and billy jenkins asked how do you keep it from getting really messy it really isn't if you you're not doing like super deep cuts you're you're just like scoring the skin like you would like a hot dog or something when you're gonna go cook it um I have figured out that with uh, like chondros that are guaranteed to grab, wrap, and squeeze the ever living hell out of it, to do the cuts at the base of the tail um, and closer together, just like sm smaller cuts at the base of the tail. That way, because I have had a few where I, I cut midsection down, as soon as they squeezed it, it was just, it was gross. So. Yeah, for stuff like carpets and things that that don't just take it and eat it, but instead just insist that it's alive and that they have to kill it again. Um, do it closer to the tail or probably closer to the neck, just not 
in the midsection because that's where all that energy is going to get compressed and it's just going to spray everywhere so yeah and and smitty he feeds a lot more frozen thaw than i do i actually feed a lot of stuff live um so obviously i'm not cutting live because that's sick and inhumane um but what i do is i actually found that for me i've tried you know exacto blades and scalpels and stuff and that works great um for me i actually got a cuticle scissors um the only pro and because i can get they're very very sharp and i can mm -hmm. get real real close um, I do under the armpits and then in front of the hind legs where that like webbing is. And then I'll do one just on the nape. Um, and, and I'm I, sure that that does just as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, any cut that sort of helps the, the stomach acid and stuff get get in there. Right. And start doing this job is going to be beneficial. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I, it would not shock me if Smitty's technique is more efficient in terms of the digestion. Um, it still works like a million bucks with my animals. A hundred percent. I like the cuticle scissors, though, because if you haven't had as much experience like Smitty has, I have used the exacto knife or the scalpel and gone too deep. It's pretty easy to. Yeah, right. And now the cuticle scissors, they're rounded on the end. So I'm only cutting the skin. I'm not even cutting into like, I mean, yeah, I'm cutting the mesentery, but like I'm not into the muscle tissue at all. I'm just cutting skin, which is, again, to allow it to allow those stomach digestive enzymes and stuff to get underneath that epidermis and actually if if anybody wants to see a video me and jake did one a couple years ago oh that's right that I is forgot. on this channel you're gonna have to scroll through old videos and stuff but it is there and i kind of show the process of it and and how i do it so um at some point i keep saying this i feel like i've been saying this for the last like four years i'm gonna try and recreate that study myself or sort of do my own version of it um the problem is, is then I have to like hold on to a bunch of baby snakes for an indefinite period of time. But I don't know. Maybe maybe twenty twenty three is the year. It's just a matter of like I said, like space mostly. Um, yeah. And then it will be interesting to see because I did try it with the chondros for a while with the baby chondros, but the problem was is like I'd have days where I had to feed everything and move on because I was. You know, I had something else going on that day, so I had to just get it done, and that kind of just went to the wayside. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, even if, like I said, a small sample size still, like, and I've said this before about that study as well, like, yeah, the sample size was small, but I think with with the numbers and results that, that she got when she did that study, it's kind of hard to argue that there isn't something there, I yeah. think. You and know, someone I else could be much more versed in that stuff and see it and be like, yeah, it's bullshit. Like I said, it takes two seconds to do so even if it is just total crap and doesn't do anything you're not you're not out anything but the extra like i said two seconds to to make some cuts and that's it so yeah yeah i uh i personally have tried it with um i don't do it with my colubrids are so small so I'm, I'm still feeding like live rat pups and live rat pinks and stuff but uh i, I don't do it with dramarcon because their metabolism is so high i don't do it with nausea species because their metabolism is so high it, it it's honestly just a waste of time um they're gonna digest it and poop it out in a day yeah, or two yeah. anyway um but like morelia and my fuscus and the one that really like the one that made me say okay smitty was right i'm gonna keep doing this was the wrinkles because they're predominantly toad eaters in the wild mm -hmm. and i was getting so much fur and undigested crap in their in their stool and I was like, you know what? Let me let me do the cuts with them, and it it just works 
there's less there's less fur mm -hmm. in their stool and i really feel like it's because they're getting to digest the good stuff faster that by the time they're done digesting the good stuff they still have time to digest the fuzz right and that's like that's what i'm talking about is you're kind of like reversing that so where instead of it spends a ton yeah. of energy digesting the outside you know the skin and the fur um and it's getting less or it's not getting as much of those nutrients from the inside and the things that it needs, you know, you're helping that along and you're making it just easier on that system in general. So, and you know, less stool, I don't, I haven't paid attention enough to notice any major difference there, but I, with some of the older animals, I've definitely noticed the same thing where there is less fur and there's less of those yeah. like skin casing type deals. Yes. you get Sometimes with the bigger animals. Um, so like I said, I think there's something to it. Uh, I, you know, Scott said he's, he's wanting to try it with some stuff this this year, which I'm really you're going to keep me in the loop on that, Scott, because I'm very curious. Um, it's just it's one of those things where it's like this could with stuff like baby chondros and like cyania, things that come out tiny that need nutrients like as much as you can if you can get it to them better to where they're growing a little faster and they get a little more size on them to where you can upgrade them to fuzzies from pinkies to where there's a little more to them. I think it's kind of a no brainer. You know, yeah. it's like, especially if you're dealing with a species that, that can be a little tougher to get started um, or a species that is kind of a slow starter to begin with, as far as like kind of taking off and getting some size to them. I think it's a huge, huge leg up yeah. there. So, yeah, I agree. And like but you were saying, Go ahead. Oh, so, like you were saying, like those like skin casing and stuff with some of the wrinkles, they would they would, you know, defecate an entire mouse tail. Mm. And it's like now I don't see that at all. So, yeah. And that, that was the other sort of thing with why I didn't pursue it more seriously in terms of like doing it my own myself and sort of documenting it, even if it's not in official sort of scientific capacity. But because um, I mostly want to know get better idea of results for myself and then share yeah. it with everybody. It's not necessarily like a, this is a scientifically proven thing to happen. It's just, I want to find out more, but that also requires me to weigh everybody on the same, like the same dates. Like, yeah, it's not going to be hardcore scientific level studying or anything like that, but I do want it to be consistent to where there aren't variables where people could say like, well, you measured this group, you know, you weighed them on, on a Monday, but you weighed the other group on a Friday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, so we'll see, but I don't know. It's uh, I it's think it's really stuff. cool. And it's a, it's a, it's a, for some reason, a lot of people don't, didn't really think about it until that paper was published. And I know I published, uh, it's gone now. I have it saved. So excellent. At some point, I don't know if, I don't think I'd be allowed to. I want to put it on the website so bad, but I don't know that I'm allowed to. So, yeah, you got to contact the uh, the authors. She's hard to get a hold of. That's that's the problem. I get it. And Scott says, uh, you know, it works great with Oxyrhinus ankylophus and Sudecus. So, and the, those are species that I imagine are eating mostly reptilian based diets in the wild, and you know. If it's working, great. You know, he Scott says he's saying the same thing about tails and such. So that's awesome. Uh, did you have any other captivity stuff? Um, stats. So hemostats, sometimes thermostats, but 
you know, stats, the little yeah. tweezers you use to offer food. Yeah. Um, tongs is a good one because, like, we always say tongs. We don't mean salad tongs. We mean giant tweezers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people use salad tongs, and if that works, that works. Um, sub, substrate. You know, what kind of sub are you keeping them on? Um, neuro and slash stargazing. So, yeah. Neuro, you hear a lot with like jags uh, in carpets, jaguars, jaguar gene, yeah. um, spiders, and ball pythons. And then uh, sun kissed corns early on had uh, what was called stargazing, which has been sort of bred out as of the last, you know, several years. Um, but then you get stargazing with boas, which is a symptom of uh, IBD, which is inclusion body disease. Uh, so basically stargazing is like, you have a snake that's like perpetually and has issues just staring, like they're staring up, like they're, they're just staring straight up. Your snake may do that from time to time just because they're curious. It doesn't mean they have stargazing. Right. Um, but if it's a continual problem and they're clearly like neuro falls into that category where they're like doing loop to loops, like the, the baseball and angel in the outfield, uh, you know, it's, they, that's considered neuro, like neuro neurological problems. So, right. Jags and spider balls, you know, they have the the wobble. Um, and to varying degrees, you're going to get some that have a lot of neuro. You're going to have some that have little neuro. Uh, I was unaware. It wasn't until talking to Pinnell on THP a couple weeks ago that he's had some that, you know, Jags that they hatched out fine. And it wasn't until a couple years later that the neuro started to develop. Um, I always thought it was something that kind of just, they came out that way and it just stuck with them. Yeah. Um, I, it doesn't surprise me that it could be a, a you know, a age developed thing. Yeah. Uh, or some sort of stressor that's a catalyst for it to sort of show up and not go away. I don't. I don't know. But and it, Billy Hunt was telling me that the majority of the ones that he's seen from the jag from the jaguar carpet gene is uh, is stress related. So mm -hmm. you know he had a jaguar carpet that some you know, sort it, of stimulus. Yeah, if you took it out and just held it calmly, everything was fine. If you open the drawer real quick and yoinked it out of its enclosure, it's going to start to stress and start yeah. to bow and twist and convulse and whatever else. Um, not to be derogatory towards one of the greatest musicians of all time, but it's typically referred to as Stevie Wonder syndrome because the snake is constantly moving its head back and forth. Doing the Ray but, Charles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Doing the Ray Charles. I never called for her to call that, but yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, you had mentioned snakes looking up in the air, and Maria had a great one, periscoping. So, you know, I walked into my snake room and saw my, you know, ball python periscoping. What is periscoping? Periscoping is something that snakes do doesn't matter the species. They all do it. Some do it more than others where they basically stiffen and elongate the first third, if not the first half of their body, and they stretch up to the sky and they just stare straight at the ceiling. Um, sometimes some people think that it's a, a relaxation technique. Some people think that it's a sensory thing where they're getting higher above the grass or higher above the the environment they're in to kind of survey their, their surroundings. Um, some people think that it's a defense tactic to be more alert towards predators and predation. Um, 
but yeah, snakes do it. They they literally stick up straight like the periscope on a submarine. So, but you notice you seem to see it more with more visually acute, yeah, species. So like your coach whips and your racers. Um, you know, coach whips here are kind of like that's like when I think of coach whips, I think of a coach whip in a field like periscoping, like its heads above the grass and it's looking around. Um, I've seen racers do it. I haven't really seen many in the way of uh, rat snakes do it. Like I said, it seems to be much more of a like active hunter type. Yeah. Snakes. Um, I know I've seen pictures of like berms doing it, but. Mm-hmm. Outside of sort of the Kaluber stuff, I don't. Yeah, I think the most common in captivity is probably ball pythons. Um, yeah, I yeah. see ball pythons do it a lot. Um, I've seen king snakes do it. King snakes do it really, really well in captivity because they have no fear of predation. So they're just like, oh, I'll sprawl out. Mm-hmm. But I've seen them do it like when we're road cruising. I'll see the king snake head up, and it's not. It's not a full, you know, 90 degrees straight up, but like it's definitely elevated itself. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because it's about to cross the road or it's it's sniffing the air. Who knows? So tripod. Um, tripoding. That's another great one. Uh <laughs> you want to do that one? You're talking about like monitors? Yeah. Yeah. I've never had mine do it. I've seen pictures of it. A lot of the yeah. Australian stuff. Yeah. So basically some of the Australian monitors. Carters. Garter's periscope. Yeah, Garter's periscope real well. Um, some of the Australian monitors will stiffen their tail and use it as a third point of contact to lift the front half of their body up. Basically, kind of like when a dog begs and a dog stands up on its hind legs, the monitor lizard is then using its tail, its rigid tail, as the third point of contact as a tripod to stand up and either... Uh, and Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Argus monitors do it as a form of defense as well as a form of observation. Um, I know Parentes, I think, do it as a form of defense. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a second. Let them chime in. Yeah, he says all the time. They do it for threat, threat display. display. Yeah. Very cool. That, that was another great term. Um, speaking of periscoping and tripoding, Bobbing, dew lapping. Uh, lizards, for the most part, will bob their head as a form of dominance or to attract a member of the opposite sex. They also have that thin skin flap on their neck that they can open and close, typically brightly colored, orange, pink, purple. Whatever. That's called a dew lap. And they'll, in the conjunction with the head bobbing, they'll also move that dew lap in and out as a form of, you know, dominance to, towards other males for, for, you know, combat over a female or to entice a female to breed. Um, did you have any more other captive stuff? Uh, yeah. So we mentioned put them down at the beginning of the episode. so like putting stuff in oh, the yeah. cooling, yeah. Um, put them down for the winter, you know, get them ready for, for breeding season, give them that nice brumation period um rolled you know so a lot of people something something dies or they lose something um you know it rolled on me yeah and that 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 term comes from uh anyone who's had a lot of snakes a lot of lizards too the more animals you have the higher probability you have for death um 
it is sad. Um, it's part of the, it's part of it. We do everything in our power to make that not happen. But the term it rolled on me comes from when most snakes, if not all snakes and lots of lizards too, is when they die, they completely invert and they roll over on their back. Um, again, it's mostly snakes. Um, it's not species specific. It's just snakes do it. Um, some snakes will even bite themselves prior to dying. No one really knows why, whether it's venomous or not, they still do it. Um, but I would say almost all, if not, I mean, almost all, if not all of the snakes that I've ever had pass away, I've found them completely inverted upside down. So. Yeah. Um, palpate. That was another one that Westmore yeah. mentioned earlier too. So you have a, you know, a female and you're wondering if she's, she's gravid or not. Um, usually you can feel those eggs if she's, you know, if she's got them and she's close to, to sort of dropping them. Um, corn snakes kind of come to mind cause that's typically what I do it with whenever I'm wondering if, a, if a pairing took, um, and it's just letting that female sort of move through your hands in a sort of more, when she's more of a relaxed state, you can feel those palp, you know, those eggs a lot easier than if she's sort of tensed up, um, so palpating, you know, you can you can feel those those eggs in that that lower third. So, um, I actually, with the exception of venomous, I palpate my stuff all the time, simply because the more animals you have, the less you can finally. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The more animals you have in a collection, the less you can acutely observe them. So if I'm cleaning and I have to remove the animal and it's not venomous, I'm palpating it every, almost every time because I want to make sure there's no obstructions. I want to make sure there's no uh, impaction or any kind of tumors or anything that I need to worry about, you know. And, and after you've done it enough and you've handled enough of different species and enough of the same species too, you'll learn what it's supposed to feel like and what it's not supposed to feel like. Um, uh, don't be surprised if when you do it, even if the first time you ever do it, the snake takes a dump on you, it's you're basically pushing on their pelvis. So uh, imagine, you know, <laughs> someone picked you up out off your lazy boy off the couch and started pressing on your pelvis. You'd probably have to want to go to the bathroom, too. So uh, and yeah, <laughs> Scott says he palpates venomous all the time. Dash carefully. Yes, very carefully. Um and uh, and keeping with the whole theme of bobbing, periscoping, tripoding, all that, uh, another one is uh, bucking and twitching. So a lot of snakes will buck like a horse, you know, trying to get the cowboy off the back of them. Um, that is typically a form of itching. You know, they may have an itch on their back and they just need to give a little twitch out of it. Um, sometimes uh, they twitch because they got a shiver, just like you know, you and I get, we get goosebumps, we get a shiver, whatever. Um, <laughs> Bill says, Phil just sent tripod pick. All right, let me see what I got. Uh, let me pull this up. Um, but it's also a direct correlation with breeding and uh, mating, whether it be mating ritual or uh, just enticing the opposite sex. Um, uh, a female, a, a male snake may you know, slither on top of a female snake in, in an attempt to uh, uh, entice her to want to breed, she may not be ready and she may try and buck him off of her back. 
Um, oh man, Bill sent some great pictures for this. Uh, all right, let's try and get these up and running. All right. So yeah, so if you see a snake twitching, uh, it may just have a shiver. If you see it a lot, it may be something neurological. It may have another issue. It may have some kind of subcutaneous parasite. You never know. Go to your vet. Check your vet out. All right. Let me try and share these pictures that Bill sent, which I, I got to be honest, I, I feel like we should have known better and we should have had pictures ready. <laughs> so there's the dewlap on a green iguana. Look at that guy. Majestic. I love it. Uh, so this, this whole big flap of skin here, that's the dewlap. Um, I'm pretty sure there you go. There's another color for one right there. All right. And this one, you can see the, the dewlaps there. Um, it's a little more recessed. It's probably not fully open and there's tripoding. Let's zoom in. So there's an Argus monitor. It is wearing a leashed harness, but you can see it's using its tail, which is, you know, in it behind it and shadowed behind it. And it's got the two legs, one there, one there. And it's using the tail in the middle to stand up like a tripod. It's a weird looking dog. It's an adorable dog. Now he sent me another photo. Let me see what I got here. Hold on. Oh, this is just cool. Let's show this off. So these are vestigial toes on a boa. It's very cool. Looks like my feet. Looks like Jake's feet. <laughs> I'm going to get a leash for the Ackies. Go for it. And undo the weeks of work. <laughs> I put it. <laughs> All right. One more do lap for the archives. Here we go. Look at that guy. Look at that handsome lizard. Gorgeous. Hanging out. Just chilling. Sign of a happy lizard. Um, <clears throat> did you have any more? Uh, uh, no, no that was palpate. Uh, palpate was the last one I had. Okay, so uh, I asked the pod father if he had any recommendations for this evening, <clears throat> and uh, because he is the pod father of Morelia Python Radio, he had three Morelia, uh, basically two are acronyms which I know we said we weren't going to do acronyms, but these are very prevalent in the Morelia community. Um, so someone who is just getting into Morelia, whether it be carpets or diamonds or chondros or what have you, they may have heard these terms and it's, it's very difficult to Google an acronym, you know? So the first one is actually DPS. Okay. Uh, Delta Papa Sierra DPS. And that stands for diamond Python syndrome. Um, I had not heard of that, but apparently many, many moons ago, uh, in the diamond python community in the United States, a lot of diamonds were dying at four and five years old and people could not figure out why. And they basically said, okay, well, this line or this group of animals has DPS, this diamond python syndrome, and they die. Well, come to find out that 
people were just keeping them too hot and the animals just weren't surviving properly. Um, when people started to lower the temperature and they realized that it's a colder weather species, now people were successful and no one's ever had DPS since. So uh, for anyone who's going back through forums and old stuff, that's there you go. And there Scott, Scott called it. It's due to keeping them too hot. Um, another one, which I thought was great is sibs like sibling. So everyone talks about sibs. Oh, I have a gamma sib or I have a Jag sib or what have you. Um, and I was even confused to this. So I thought that a sib was simply a het sibling, but it's not. And according to the Podfather, it is a normal coastal that came from the same clutch as a Jaguar, but just happens to look brighter and is not necessarily a het. There you go, kids. Those are your sibs. And I have other... a habit of using sib and clutch mate sort of interchangeably. Yeah, but are you using it for Morelia for carpets? No. Yeah, that see, that's the thing. If you said, "Oh man, this is a you know this uh, uh you know Tessera honey is a sib to that you know other Motley or whatever," I would say, "Okay, I get it." But there is a difference because you can have something that's a sib that wasn't a clutch mate. That's very true. Very so. true. That is true. But again, it, when we're talking about Morelia, though, we're talking about t- coastal morphs in carpets. Nobody keeps Morelia. <laughs> and then the other, the other one was uh, MBB. So Mike Bravo Bravo MBB. So that stands for the Madame Blueberry line bred to the Benjamin line. So if people are getting into Morelia, specifically carpets, that's what MBB is. Madame Blueberry X Benjamin. And what did Bill Bradley send me now? What do I got here? Oh, an excellent thing. An excellent. How come I didn't think of this? Dun, That's dun, dun. Weirdest looking Trojan I've ever seen. <laughs> so that is the shed skin of the head of a snake. And we see the two eye caps. So if we ever hear people talk about eye caps, the actual scale that covers the eye the lens that is over the actual eye is its own independent scale and a lot of times if a snake if a snake is dehydrated or it had a bad shed it may retain those caps on its eye which is not good it can lead to obviously vision issues it can lead to infections it can lead to worse 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 and worse sheds as time goes on um i've seen some snakes where the owner did not know that this was a thing and the snake had two or three layers of eye caps retained on their eye uh very very bad again you you can't you can't fault someone who doesn't know but at the same time you got to do your due diligence and you got to learn about that stuff so um i hear it dinging what else did bill send let's see what do we got here Oh, nice. And here we have vestigial feet on a legless lizard. Does that mean they're truly legless? I mean, I wouldn't call those things legs. But that's pretty cool, man. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. 
So yeah, um, that concludes my list that I had. Um, I'm trying to see if I missed anything. Oh, in the can. I put the snake <laughs> in the can. Oh, okay. So a lot of people don't realize this, but many, many, many venomous keepers around the world use garbage cans as a holding vessel for their venomous snake while they're cleaning the enclosure. Um, I personally have a giant, what is it, 55 or 52-gallon Rubbermaid trash can with with matching lid. Um, and it's marked, you know, danger venomous, do not open, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes they're on wheels, they're on caster wheels, so you can wheel it around your snake room. Um, and basically, I'll remove said snake, place it in the garbage can, put the lid on. It's not meant for garbage. It's specifically marked for snakes. I keep it clean for snakes. I have a separate garbage can that's for garbage. Um, and then I'll keep that snake in that can. A lot of uh, keepers, especially venomous, will actually take their snake hook and they'll lay it across the lid of the trash can as a universal sign for a snake in the can. So it's the if, international symbol for it, it, don't open it up. Exactly. So if Smitty and I are talking and I'm like, yeah, man, you know, the uh, uh, Ethiopian Cobra, I don't know why, but it just went batty on me. I opened the lid of the can and it shot right out or I went to go put it in the can and it pooped on me. Well, when I say the can, that's what we're referring to, we're referring to a very, very large, typically hard rubberized trash can used exclusively for containing venomous temporarily. And the irony is, is like the hook across the top means absolutely nothing to people that don't know that. You know, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Oh, Bill had a good one. Man, why didn't Bill not come on tonight? This is a great one. I didn't even think of this one. I'm going to let you do this one, Smitty. Oh. Boom. There they are. Yeah. Let me tell y'all about plugs. Plug it up, baby. So, they're commonly called sperm plugs, uh, but the issue is is they can't necessarily be sperm plugs because the hemipenes are inverted, so that's kind of technically like the outside of the hemipenes being shed. And what is this plug used for? Uh, normally, I don't know about with carpets, but with green tree pythons, usually around the two to three-year-old mark, if it's a male, they start shedding these. And it's much more obvious with males because you get something like that. With some chondras, I've had them pop them, and they look like little antennae coming from the, from the vent. Uh, and then females don't have that. They just have kind of like a... How would I describe it? Uh, like the base part of that. So without the two like plug parts on the on both sides of of that centerpiece, imagine just that sort of centerpiece. It's typically female, but like I said, in chondros specifically, you're not going to see those for for a couple of years. But it's usually a, a pretty good sign. That's why, like with a lot of my chondros, I don't bother sexing them uh because eventually if it's a boy i'll get plugs and i don't have to do anything so perfect now everyone in the group chat feel free to correct me if i'm wrong because i have been wrong before but it was to my knowledge that 
sperm plugs specifically is a waxy mucus discharge that solidifies and is used to basically keep sperm within the female to ensure that none escapes and also to uh, prohibit or let me rephrase that used to deter another male's genetics from consummating that female. See, I don't know. I mean, they're, like I said, they're inverted. So what you see there would technically be the outside. Right. But it's still deposited in the female. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, I'm sure there are, there is sperm and things involved in that, but like within those, like, it's not just like yeah. a sheath or anything like that, but. Right. Yeah, Lisa says that she's pretty sure garter snakes actually use them as plugs. So, like I said, I've been wrong before. To the best of my knowledge, that's how that worked. But hopefully someone in the group chat knows more than us and can educate us on this. Where's Scott? Scott. Where's Where's Bill? Oh, Bill sent me something else. Oh, I hear dings. Hold on. Bill, you act like you need an invite. Oh, this one's cool, too. This is good. Will you please send him the link? Yeah. I don't know enough about this one to, to speak about it. So I'm going to let Bill talk about it. I'll wait to wait to throw it up on the screen. He says, technically you do need an invite because it's a link. <laughs> uh, smart ass. Little does he know the link we sent him is always the same. <laughs> No, yeah, you, we're gonna send it. Send it now, Smitty. I just did. Okay, good. Billy boy, get in here. Billy boy. Might take him a minute. Don't send it now. I'm almost out of stuff. <laughs> no, that's the point. Get him on here. Let's hear the rest of it. Justin, I just got your palmetto photos. <laughs> it just dinged just now. Uh, we'll throw them up uh, while we're waiting for Bill to join. Oh, wait, oh wow, there he is. Quick. Good, good. I see that beard. Excellent. Good. What's good. up? What's up? I only hope that when I get older, I can have like the white in the front and the. <laughs> Unless I think you may you may just color it that way. No, I do not color it that way. No, it is. It's you from tell me the, it'll be our secret. It's from all the delicious food he consumes. That is true. It, that I would tell people that, except like the silver and stuff that's coming in. If I let the hair grow, it makes it a little more obvious that uh, 
or he uses the just for men, but he only he doesn't do it on this this front part here. So yeah, I just like, run yeah, out. Natural, it just happens yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah. All right, so here's what Bill sent, and I'm gonna zoom in. So this is called paradoxing. Bill, why don't you tell so us it, about? I didn't have a good example. It's a thing that people talk about in ball pythons a lot, but it happens um, in a lot of different morphs for snakes that are supposed to be yellow and white, all white, orange and white, some version of what people think of as albinism or leucism. And then you'll have black spots that appear and scales that darken, which shouldn't happen if the snake actually is amelanistic or amelanistic and anorthristic at the same time to make it all white, uh, but it does. So it's, it's a paradox that that's, that's impossible. It's amelanistic. Well, there's three black spots, so it's it's yeah. it's called paradoxing. And I'm more familiar with this in Carpidactylidae, where you have um, it's very very rare in the United States. In fact, I'm pretty sure, um, man, somebody there's only one or two guys in the country that have nephris with paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but basically, instead of having the black dots, it's almost like a washed out watercolor where what should be a patch uh what should be a uniform color is is washed out and 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 kind of blurry um let me see if i could find it um i was going to ask you it's basic they, they call it paradox but i don't know if it's the same genetic thing that's happening with like the lizard in front of us so actually, that's a, that's I saw beauty, one of the right? comments. Somebody asked if those were Dalmatian spots. So yeah, that's the back of a crested gecko. Um, oh, it's that, wow, crested. Okay, that particular crested is like uniformly tan and orange, and then just has it developed over time, like just a handful of those black spots. And then, like cresteds are really weird when it comes to morphs and and being uh, kind of polygenic, and they they do a lot of weird stuff. Um, and quite a bit of it is heritable. But that particular guy developing it late in life like that, it just really struck me more as how it happens in uh, sand boas, ball pythons, and it, the paradoxical yeah. spots. Chimera is sort of what they call that in carpets over in Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Well, so and then I the just, problem, too, I... is that you, when you run into things like the green trees, right, where... The, the like you guys have talked about a lot with designer green trees trying to get a lot more blue and black and dark colors and then you get papers that say that that's maybe due to hybridization and so like no, you hear nick well you hear you hear nick mutton talk about how with morphs like melanocytes and things they, they don't travel on their own they travel with other things and so you have a lot of weird morphological differences well if you are actually hybridizing two species, then when your baby develops, maybe your melanocytes aren't traveling the way that you thought they would. And so you get really sweet chondros that aren't just green because their melanocytes aren't traveling correctly. And so a lot of these things could be very similar. And especially like when they talk about chimeras and things that show up in carpet pythons, and then we get a new carpet python book that says maybe some of those things are mixing and matching and getting a little weird. Well, then maybe your melanocytes aren't traveling correctly because that wasn't your distant relative. That was your cousin. And now your babies look funny. Yeah. I sent you some, some pictures of some paradoxes. 
Okay. I was trying to find this one knob tail that's crazy looking, but I can't remember who sent it to me. Um, all right, let me grab yours first. Hold on. And it's actually a thing. Uh, it's a really big thing for uh, banana balls. They develop black spots like that. And it was just a weird thing that happened where it's supposed to be a brown and yellow snake and you get these black freckles. It starts trending way more toward like a hog island. Almost like the thing is mites all the time. Mm-hmm. I actually hate my hog island for that reason. Every time I look at it, it makes my skin itch. And it's perfectly clean. It just looks that way. <laughs> all right. Facebook. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Paradox corn. I mean, it's not just corn. It's got like granite and some other stuff in it. But typically, when you see Paradox, like you see varying degrees of it, um, that's a pretty, pretty hardcore example. It's a great looking animal. Yeah, it is. That's Amazon awesome. tree boas. There's a good bit of. Uh, there was one guy at one point. I don't know what happened to him or where he went, but he was uh, working with Amazon's some of the coolest looking paradox Amazons I've ever seen. He was doing it under like paradox predators, I think, but I don't know where he went because that was a couple years ago and he kind of fell off the map. But he had some of the coolest looking paradox um, Amazons I've ever seen. Just absolutely ridiculous. And that's another corn. But Westmoreland, he, he's in the chat. Uh, me and Chris have talked about the paradox thing, I think, on Corn Stars a couple times, and it seems like inheritability doesn't seem to be there in like the traditional sense. Like it almost seems more like a random thing that uh, I could be completely wrong on that. I'm maybe confusing it with something else, but it sounded like the paradox thing didn't really get passed the same way, you know, genes typically would in what we see with a lot of the other morphs. I would bet as the genetic thing, like, you know, how they have the markers now for black pastel and a couple of different mm-hmm. things in ball pythons. I'm sure it's going to be very complicated, but the, something like piebald where yeah. you can sort of guess higher percentage off a of mom, but not really. If if they can start to figure out the avenues for heritability on something like that, I, I would think it would lend itself to something like paradox or, or what we call paradox. But man, that's, that seems like a very difficult oh, yeah. genetic See, work. Joe said paradox is not heritable. Whereas the speckling of bananas is linked to the gene inheritable. He's hatched a few true paradox bananas. There you go. Yeah. I just like I'm sure like obviously there's got to be some sort of genetic component to it because otherwise it just wouldn't exist. But in terms of like the traditional heritability of incomplete dominant and uh, you know hats and things like that, I just don't think the same rules necessarily apply. But yeah, well, and that's like he was talking about there in the chat where you know snakes muddy up or brown out or whatever with age. Like the developing melanism with age has been common. I mean. Just red tails back in the day, you know, really old red tails aren't red anymore. Their tails aren't red. Like they just get so much more black in their tails. That's how you know they're old. That was always, that was always a thing. You know, babies have beautiful bright red tails. Then you get these import old females and they look just jet black and hate the world. Like that was how you knew they were old. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's why 
why everybody gets mad about super fire and super mojave ball pythons are like oh they turn yellow and brown with age it's like yeah they're old like nobody looks awesome when they're old <laughs> i don't know you get white in your beard and then people make funny shirts it's pretty awesome billy <sighs> yeah so that's the chimera that that eric was mentioning obviously this is a, a photograph of a computer screen you know, but were those fingerprints? It's got, it's got like hives. Yeah, that's it's crazy. A, it's a segment of misread genetic code, I believe. The DNA itself isn't mutated and therefore won't pass on the paradox appearance, which sounds about right. And I'm sure Wyman will listen to there this and send us a yeah very lengthy response that explains it all and makes us all feel very very dumb, but <laughs> educated as a result. Yes. Always, always. Well, I can't that, makes find... me, that makes me wonder, like with with pides and calicos and paradoxes, like how is there Wyman? If you're listening to this, answer me and my dumb question, please. Uh, Bark twice the, if you're in Milwaukee. The difference between the three, because I mean, essentially, you're looking at at calico is going to be kind of the not exactly the. That's going to be sort of the exception, I guess, because it's not exactly the same as like, but Pied and Paradox, I would assume, are, are very similar. It's expression, though. When you look at something like Calico, you can look at the Calico things. You can go scale by scale and see that the expression of those melanocytes is different as you go. Whereas when you do something about like Piebald, you can you can actually see, especially on balls, that's why they're perfect for that, is you can see where the patterning ends and it's actually an ex it's the expression of the color, but it's the expression of the color and the pattern. So in, in the way that the color is expressed, and both of those are just turned off. So you can see the pattern of the ball end, and then you also see a total lack of color. So I think it's, it's more of an expression of those genes. And that would make sense when he was talking about paradox and chimera, why they don't pass the way we think they would pass, mm -hmm. is because that animal what is broken quote mutated for the morph in that animal is the expression of those genes, not the gene itself. And so you could pass on good genes. And if you're, if you're, if your dad's expression works and your mom's expression is broken and you inherited dad's good expression, then you'll express cinder or whatever. Yeah. You know, whereas if, if you, hit the odds and you got mom's bad expression because it turns out that grandpa on dad's side had bad expression, then you'll be a cinder with crappy expression. That's a super simplified way of that. Yeah, but the, I guess that like, the, the question is how is Pied and Paradox different? I mean, obviously Pied is, is recessive, right? Yeah, it's straight up pets and so what, and would, what would make yeah. that different from paradox? Like, why would paradox not be recessive, but pied is when the expression is so similar in a way? I think it's the heritability of that broken expression. We get a het pied ball python. That's the the ringer. You can tell, you know, yeah. and you can het pied het pied retics and het pied ball pythons look like stuff, and mm -hmm. pied retics look weird. They don't look yeah. like re they they're like silver and white. They're not retic and white like a ball python is. And so it's I think the the broken expression is what you inherit. And then in the same way, 
Whereas if, if both of your parents have a broken expression, then you would inherit, like you'll probably be a high percentage quote unquote pied. But if you had a het and a homo, then the het is somewhere in their past, their expression is broken. So my, my grandpa's expression was broken and my mom's expression is broken. So now what, what are you going to get out of that? 75%, 80, yeah. Yeah. 92. Like, I think and that's why that, things like pied are so variable is because you don't know the percentage. You don't know the, what's been passed on as far as the actual expression that, that's here. I don't know. Like that's right. a hard and, way to explain. At the same time, at the same time, we're only talking about mom's side. You know, you could have had that, yeah. that expression in dad's great, great grandfather and right. no one knew because it was in the bush somewhere, you know? Well, and then like when you talk to um, Wyman and Julander and, and a couple of these guys too, like we're running into weird stuff now too with epigenetics and the changes that, that happen in real time to the, the gametes of those animals. And now we're going to impact that. And, you know, I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of stuff like that, that it, it's going to well, have a major effect. Said, it said that you have nine direct inbreedings, nine, I think it's like nine to 14 direct inbreedings in, in reptiles before an abnormality will occur. So the question is, was the abnormality, was the abnormality noticeable enough to be considered a genetic anomaly? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like, yes. The question that I'd ask Wyman is like, what are the two different avenues that, that, paradox and, and pied take that makes them different but looks similar yeah like what yeah. happens on the like the genetic level that makes one go this way and one go that way instead of them sort of operating similar that's kind and of what i want to know just speaking of pied ball pythons and by the way just because we're doing slang terms like homo is homozygous and het is heterozygous um for the people that want to google this stuff um when we're talking about like you were saying how how variable pied in ball pythons or royal pythons is has anyone ever tried and, and this may be again you guys chime in wyman chime in this may be completely a waste of time and i'm talking out of my ass but has anyone observed the not necessarily the scale count but like the array in which the pigment is different like we oftentimes see what, what bill was saying the break right where it's like normal color and then there's a there's a straight wall and then white, okay? And you may get the occasional black scale here or brown scale there, but is there any kind of correlation with the type of scale and the arrangement of said scales on that part of the snake? Does that make sense? Ooh, that'd be cool. You know what I'm saying? Like if it's well, supposed to have... Well, you get weird stuff in ball pythons too, like scale is head, micro scale. yeah. I would bet that there, there probably is, there's the potential for a correlation there because we know that there are other morphs that relate in that way. And it turns out that scaleless or the lack of development of scales is actually really common in a lot of reptiles and is a, is a mutation that has shown up in, in a lot of things. So that's another thing that blows my mind. And I, I, in general too, not just scaleless, but like the fact that you can have, what is expressed as the same mutation pop up in multiple species. Like you can have scaleless bearded dragons, scaleless uh, spectacle cobras, scaleless water cobras, scaleless puff adders, scaleless yeah. H rocks. Like 
It's right. wild to me that you can have that same thing across the board. Why? You're just, everybody grows fingernails. Everybody grows hair. It just breaks in a different way. And male, pattern, think... male pattern baldness is literally <laughs> called patterned baldness. Yeah. Like the, the ways that we develop those things are, are similar across the board. It would make sense that squamates, some, in order to be a squamate, you have to share some traits. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that scale development is, I mean, realistically would be a trait that all squamates share. So it stands to reason that the breaking of that ex Maybe expression. Maybe it's more so odd because we see, we see it now popped up in so many different things because people, you know, the internet. Oh, sure. That now it seems like all of a sudden well, there's an explosion of scaleless things when they've, you know, it's probably already been there to some degree, but whatever had it didn't survive. So we never saw it. Yeah, I think the first. Well, but the first... look at the way. Sorry, Phil. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Bill. Well, my thing is, um, I heard a lot of folks talking about cresteds, right? Of mm -hmm. of how there's a bunch of morphs showing up in cresteds now, and they're super cool cresteds and all this stuff. It's like, well, that's not true, because we know that there were a very finite number of cresteds that came in. Those genetics have been there all the time. It just took this long for those grandkids to finally mate and for that baby to pop out. And yeah. so if, if that, if, you know, scaleless ball pythons, how many 80,000 a year for 20 years did we import, you know, and in whichever part of Benin or Togo or whatever they came from, like, if you, if you showed up there, there'd probably be a guy that it'd be, oh yeah, Bob over there. He knows about those. Like, it's not weird if you're there, you know, and then we just finally got those two 15th generation grandkids together and like, holy crap, look at this thing I invented. No, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. you know, and that's, that's literally what I was going to say is the, on the same exact note, like you said, ball pythons, I was going to say puff adder. So I'm pretty sure the first puff adder that was found scaleless was like in the sixties or something. And they brought it in, into captivity. And then it took probably 15 or 20 years. We don't know if they were trying to breed for it, but in like 15, 20 years later, they produced a litter of that some of them in the litter were scaleless. And those are the ones that became the founders for the scaleless puff adders that are out there. So going back to what we're saying is it's probably something that's been going on forever, but nature eats them. Nature, you know, weeds them out, whatever, yeah. because it's not, it's not correct. It's not conducive to surviving. We don't but, hoard it and sell it for thousands of dollars. And, and that's the thing is now, yes. now we're, we're coveting them. Right. Yeah. And because it's, it's, it's popular to covet them is why we're seeing more species that share the pattern, right? I'm with Mike. Yeah. It was aliens. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I don't know. I'm a I'm, full disclosure. If you haven't figured this out already, I'm a complete idiot when it comes to most genetic stuff. So, oh, welcome to the club, bro. <laughs> Dude, there's tons of stuff of like that, though. I mean, look at berms. Like all, yeah. almost all of the berm morphs that we have came from wild animals. You know, when, when you talk form. about like the, the granite berm, there's a super famous picture of a, a tanned skin of a humongous berm in country. It's granite. It's not, it's not a berm. It's really? granite, you know, and then you talk about like a, a green berm or something like that. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, you mean uh, humans cut down all your forests and the water got really murky, sort of like South America. And then your giant snake developed green like anacondas in the murky water. Weird. Yeah, shocking. Or, or the yellow ones where they got a lot of yellow silt, so yellow anacondas exist, and all of a sudden your really fat snakes are doing the same thing because we crapped in your water and it turned yellow. 
oops. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. that somebody cared. Bob Clark was like, I could sell that to the Saudis for a million dollars. Give me a yellow one. Like, yeah. all right, cool. I will. Yeah. What wasn't the first battery to walk on? Ooh, that one I don't know. I think it would I think it not was. surprise me. Yeah, I think it was. Talk about a snake that would get eaten easily. <laughs> you know? Man, very interesting. And you said you were almost out of material. Come on, Bill. Uh, out of things I have pictures of. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Okay. Reach up in that beard and pull out more information because we know it's hiding in there. Yeah, I know, right? That's where he keeps what, all his was there any other words that you thought of or slang words that you thought of, Bill? Ooh, that we don't need man. pictures for? I mean, we talked um, about a lot of snake stuff, and I'm glad that you brought the lizard game, as you so often do. The lizard brain at work. Yeah, no, literally. I was just... I, I was literally just sitting talking to Teresa, and uh, actually, that is something I, I commented that earlier, and Teresa was saying um, that she was making fun of Phil, and and when she she was like, everything that he just said sounds like made up words. Um, you were <laughs> you were describing where perps come from in in yeah. that part of the world and Straits of Malacca and, and different things, um, and it it's not necessarily. I mean, those are terms. Those are actual, like, factual terms. They're not slang. But it's, um, we just kind of breeze through that and assume that you knew, like, you knew that we were talking about yeah. Tremerceris, and you knew that that was a genus, and you knew that Tremerceris meant little vipers that sit on trees, and you, like, we just assumed that you know where the Straits of Malacca are. Like, you know, yeah, and it's a good point. It's a good like, point. Like, there are the days where Trimerceris was just Trimerceris. Oh, but that's, you know, even, it's yeah. not it's not slang. It's just, there's a pretty high base level of knowledge to hang out and talk about venomous snakes by their Latin names. Like that takes a, a higher base level, I guess, to not yeah. just be sitting. And I do quite a bit, hang out in the chat and just Google stuff. But, um, <laughs> but like, just the, cause I, I actually commented that about the gecko. Cause I guess the gecko wrong, but um, I, I was like, I, I was into Mam Namibia. And I guess one species that was from the Sahel, like I should have been <laughs> yeah, close yeah, for yeah. Phil, but like <laughs> if you didn't know what the Sahel or Namibia or like, that's yeah, not helpful yeah. to you. You know, those aren't slang terms, but that's still not helpful to you in the conversation. If, if you didn't know. Those sure. Terms. Sure. And you know, you know, the problem is, is that like the question at hand was what's a perp, right? Right. We, simple definition would have been it's, it's the shortened, it's the shortened species name of an of a tree going demon it's a, of a tree going marsh viper from yeah. southeast asia oh we lost him see if he's coming back there he is i got him oh there he is nobody cares about perps that's why i got off Oh, <laughs> uh, no! But, I hit the back button yeah, too many times. No, it's cool, man. And, and, and see, and what I was saying is, is that the whole it would have been easy just to say it's the shortened species name of a tree viper from Southeast Asia. And I went right. a little, I went a little too far with it, and then that well, opened that, up a whole can of worms. <laughs> well, but that's the thing is the the definition of the slang term is this is just a shortened name yeah. for a specific species of snake sure. and because 
you guys know that and it's it's intimate knowledge for you you gave a ton of information about the species of snake that that word is short for and so it's just it's just one of those things where like you would need to know a lot about southeast asia to to know all of that <laughs> you, get a point. you know you get a point there were probably yeah. a lot of people in the chat that were like purple snake cool yeah what about yeah. what about mucks what yeah straight yeah. like yeah. yeah sumatra what's sumatra yeah, yeah. the coffee yeah yeah well <laughs> and that, you know start talking yeah. about burma and myanmar and you yeah. know lesser sundas and and all kinds of things and you could lose people pretty quick i lose myself sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah definitely man we should do we should do another one of these in the new year and and really put some pen to paper on some of these oh he needs to stop pressing the back button look what he did Come on, Bill. Inside me saying, I really don't think you're strong enough. No. You don't have to wait for me. I just keep hitting no, the stupid did, button trying do. to look at the comments. No, you don't. I'm, 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 Teresa's <laughs> over here laughing at me, and I'm telling her that the comments are talking about her making fun of Phil, talking about Sumatra. What, what was going to say is Valentine <laughs> says to, to have her come on, join the fun. <laughs> yeah. Get in there, girl. <laughs> I just got there. The she is. Can, can you hear the cackling through, I, through get, YouTube? Get her on there. How about this? She doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't have it. to. She doesn't nope. have to come on camera. She can just come close enough so we can hear, her, like for real. I've taken my hair out. I am done. <laughs> she's taking her hair out. It's not an option. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I tried. Can't I didn't know that mattered me. for for voice work, but it matters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He said, like, come on the camera, not voice work. Lucy, no, you yeah. don't have to. Yeah, just run away. Just, it's fine. Run yeah, away. Sit, sit next to him so that you can use the mic and uh, we'll all be missing out on your, your beautiful appearance. Peer pressure is a bitch. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, just, I do have to live here, man. <laughs> like, That's true. <laughs> yeah, Kasiki says your wife is infamous. <laughs> yeah a little bit love it love it how's how's the, the 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 turtle zoo coming along by the way uh which part didn't you say did you say that your son was basically turning the entire basement into a turtle sanctuary <laughs> oh man yeah no yeah, with, with the exception of your giant enclosure for the iguana ridiculous um uh, turtle world uh, update to giant iguana enclosure is a potential uh i had a different thought process on that to where i have a 300 gallon racetrack as the base currently and i want to put and that has two-ish feet of substrate yeah which probably has another 18 inches that i could put in there and what i want to do is put a i think it's a 65 it might be an 80 gallon uh, racetrack inside of that. Nice. Um, fill the remaining substrate around that racetrack. Um, and slang term, that means an yeah. oval trough. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. an oval, literally racetrack shaped trough. Yes. Um, and uh, my thought process currently, originally I wanted to use that as a water feature for the redfoots, and then the iguanas yeah. would be above that. My current thought process 
um, because it's in the basement. So it's, it's away from people is I may use that water feature for my yellow anaconda and then have the upper portion of that be dedicated to the two red tails. And so that would just be South American snakes instead yeah. of the iguana and the red foot. Um, awesome. The boas are cool. The yellow is a yellow. It's not a fan of people. It'll sit yeah. out in the water because it thinks that you can't see it, but it, it's not a fan. So I thought being in the basement would give it a little more privacy. Sure. I think it's a great idea. Um, or were you considering doing some kind of uh, plexi or something against the, the mesh to limit, you know, nose rub and stuff? So that enclosure is um, that's fully encapsulated using um, the shower wall stuff, the white shower walls. Oh, okay. And then the doors are, <laughs> oh man, uh, four by three, maybe plexi. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I think the and last then, picture I saw was before you had the actual walls up. So, yeah. 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 So, that, just that one is actually done. Um, we just need to do the water feature because we, we were trying to pick who we wanted to put down there. And then um, that's planted with uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving cactus, nice. which are actually an epiphytic plant from South America. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, those, I love Christmas. The, the, the reason that those are such a big deal is because they're a mountain plant and they can right. get cold and they're epiphytic. So their roots and stuff, basically you can treat it like crap in the wintertime when you're not paying attention at Christmas and it'll <laughs> yeah. still flower. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I got, I was screwed around Google and that and found that out and they're South Americans. So I bought a ton of them to put in that enclosure. Nice. And I love Christmas cactus because they're, hardy like you were saying and they're very aesthetically pleasing and they're not going to injure the animal whatsoever you know right yeah very very thin leafed very you know very benign and let me ask um, you did, did the green iguana eat any of the flowers uh he has not been exposed to it when it was flowering um okay. he pretty much ignored the greenery and i did not put them on the ground because the red foot will eat Anything. Oh yeah, just that, destroy that, it. That can't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a beautiful. Uh, I bought an ungodly number of ferns that cost way too much money at one time, and had a Jurassic Park set up for a red foot, and he ate all of them in two weeks. Oh, so, geez. yeah, oh, every single one happen. of them down to the dirt. Yeah, they are. And let me ask you on the on the troughs: Are you doing a pipe and sump, or are you doing like an like an in tank pond filter? Um, all the stuff right now has, um, the pond boxes Yeah. currently, I have done the, um, like pipe to a jet filter, you know, big reef tank t style type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I don't right now. I am, th I'm trying to work out something. I think I might do a refugium version of that which for people that don't know that is a tank that would sit outside of the enclosure itself and have filter media and maybe some plant material or a cleanup crew type of thing uh, very similar to a lot of saltwater tanks that do that for nutrient um, uh, cleanup so my thought was i may go the refugium route for the gators in the future uh, because they eat so much and create so much waste that um, the pond filter keeps up with them right now but they're they're both right about the three foot forty inch mark or so, um, so it's 
It's a lot of waste, but not nearly as much as two six footers. And so I think the refugium is going to be the the test out for them. Yeah, because I was going to say the refugium would probably be a great idea. The only thing you have to consider is like the I don't want to say the in. I guess it's not. Yeah, it's be the intake would get stopped with waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Once the waste is big enough, it's yeah. yeah, Yeah. You still have to you still do some netting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, skimming, skimming. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, and then Um, man, it's just building the black boxes right now. Yeah, yeah. blackboxcages.com. That's right. They are built. They are done. They are lit. I have a few things left to dry, and there'll be lizards in them this week. Excellent. What are they getting? So I have four of the bio 36s, which are three by three by 18. And then uh, all four will be species from Madagascar. So there's two that are um, two that are not quite tropical, more forest type. And then two that are very arid. And so there is one for Boivany, the big velvet geckos. There yeah. is one for a Periwidura oviceps female, Sweet. which is a very small lizard in a very big box. Um, worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah. Um, the one of the arids is a Pleuris grandidieri, and the Excellent. other is a, a Pleuris, a group of a Pleuris uh, cuvieri. Very cool. What's a cuvieri yeah. look like? They are, um, they're, well, like most of Pleur- they're actually one of the few Pleurus. They're not the flat rocks. They're like the, uh, they look sort of like, um, like our Tenosaurus little yeah. ones and they're, um, black and white banded. And, nice. um, they're, they're cool because they're one of the ones they're very visual and they'll work with birds in Madagascar to alert each other. And so currently the way I have them set up is I took, uh, pieces of cut, uh, a cherry tree that I cut down and I just made like a little fake forest, and they climb up on that thing and they'll watch you and, and bob to each other and talk. Um, they're one of the few iguanids that's not crested. And so they do all the same things. They just don't have any of the facial structure to add to it. So they're very visual. Very uh, and cool. so the their new setup is two different rock piles with a cork tube in the center. So that my hope is that they'll talk between their rock piles. Nice. Um, they currently talk between their trees. So I think I can mimic the same thing. And yeah. then the Grandidieri are really similar to the a lot of flat rock lizard species. They just happen to be found in Madagascar, and yeah. they have a lot of red. The the males uh, very redheaded, like like agamids, and so that one is a lot of very flat rocks with the the red background. So he can just blend in, and we'll never see him again. It's pretty good. Much what's gonna good. Did you ever keep yeah. Platysaurus? I have not. I have not. Man, I feel like Platysaurus is right up your alley, man. I had a uh, uh, Imperator. And I had, Dan, no, I can't remember the other species, but Emperor are the biggest ones. And uh, they're. Teresa's making fun of you again for using big words. Oh, come on, girl. <laughs> talking about flat rock lizards. I'm talking about dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Thanks, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you would, you would totally get a kick out of Platysaurus. And they're relatively inexpensive when they're imported. And uh, I right. had captives. And if you did the bill bradley thing and set them up right and left them alone they did so well so well and well, don't uh, worry man because the next phase of the of the bradley thing is the two so i have my rhino iguana is in uh, it's an eight by four floor and then it's got whatever 
and I I doubled that up, and the second level nice. is split in half, and that's currently the two Apleurus squares, um, right. which is that like four by four by three maybe or wow. four, um, which is super overkill for those. Yeah. And so when I, I wanted to transfer those to the black box just so I could get better visuals when I teach people and and better for pictures and stuff. Yeah. But um, those two squares are above the rhinoceros iguana. So one of them is very, very warm and the other is just a little bit warmer than room temperature. And so it's going to be a Brettles and a hog Island to show two awesome. um, rock dwelling species, a Python and a boa. And then we'll have a really warm one with sand and a really sort of warmish one that gets kind of cold with the red rock for the Brettles to sit on. Hell yeah, dude. That's the next, the next phase. That's awesome. And a million other things. Hell yeah. That's great. Well, boys, we're at two and 45. <laughs> Is there anything uh, you boys want to touch base on? Nah. Nah. Right. Ooh, I have decided on a Lizard Brain Radio person of the year when we do our Ooh, show. I, I, will have, I will have input. Excellent. And my Excellent. input uh, fits my weird niche in her pediculture of education and rescues is the person that I chose. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Sweet. Glad and lizards can't wait can't wait yeah it's gonna be a good one i'm looking forward to it, it. Is. it's gonna be a fun show yeah. so. this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com check them out facebook instagram uh get your hands on a cage rack pick your poison whatever you choose the quality is going to be ridiculously good they're and awesome ridiculous i love every single one of my racks and cages from them so check them out <laughs> oh what happened he fell Door, over he got abducted he did because sicky's aliens kidnapped him yeah they got him they got him so black box cages check them out and puget sound pythons the fine folks of the pacific northwest uh, Jeff and Kendra. Very good people. Very. I feel like good. they've been busy lately. I haven't heard from them much. Yeah, they need to hit them up. Real busy. Busy planning weddings and stuff, man. I know, right? So, uh, we'll be back for THP on Thursday. We are doing a one on one, kind of just a year in review thing for, for me and Jake and. <laughs> I don't know if that'll necessarily be a longer episode and haven't really decided yet. Got to get some other stuff together in terms of what we're going to talk about. So uh, that'll be good. So, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our herp slang. We'll catch Step you later. Out. Say yeah.